Welcome, my friends. Welcome to the second start of a freaky free-for-all Friday trucking technology and efficiency. See, I had a brain cramp. I was trying so hard to come up with something fun for the show today. I forgot to press the button. I have like two things I have to do to start a show. I have two buttons to press. One of them I forgot today. So we're kind of starting over. Um, I had originally talked about the economy a little bit. I've got a bunch of notes on it here. I wanted to find something a little light and more fun on Friday. I just didn't find anything this week. Uh, So Joel's here with me. John's at the racetrack this week. We're going to get him back next week. Phone lines are open, so jump in and join us. Um, I may talk about the economy. The problem is even the good news in the economy today really isn't good news Uh, And I hate to be depressing on a Friday. So I'm going to bring in Joel and hope he has something good this week. Joel, welcome back. Oh, hold on a second. Why am I not hearing Joel now? Oh, boy. Hold on, Joel. You're not where you're supposed to be. Try it now. That's better. There we go. Holy cow. Um... Maybe, you know, it was so bad this morning. I was trying to come up with an idea and I was just getting frustrated. I almost called off the show. I'm kind of a wreck this morning. Can't press the right buttons. I don't know what the hell's going on. Well, you know, politics suck and they just infected your brain here and you can't think. It's like I I just want to get away from it, but it's like I can't. Every topic I look at seems to be wrapped up in politics today. I hear you. I work real hard just to try to ignore it, honestly. And I mean, I know you can't totally, but, uh, you know, this 24-hour news cycle, oh. it gets to be old shit in a hurry. And I, I just really I can't does. stand it. So I, I, I bury myself into research or something else so I don't have to pay attention to the crap. It just, I, uh, it's horrible. <laughs> it is. I wish I could yep. ignore it. You know, I, I feel like I just can't. You know, like it's part of my job. Like I've just got to know what's going on with this stuff. But man, it's getting old. Like I said, it's frustrating now that even the good news really isn't good news anymore. We, we don't need no, I, our, our good news in our economy because any good news probably just means inflation's going to get worse. Yeah, I agree. It, it probably is. Um but that being said, you know, you just got to keep in the back of your mind. It's a cycle. Yeah, it will come it to an end at some point. Um, we we just hope that it's not prolonged. Um, it's looking like it probably will be. But, uh, you know, take care of business and uh, you're going to be all right. Uh, I know that's a generic, generic kind of a statement, no, but it's, it's true. It, and, and uh, yeah, you're right. If you do all the things we talk about in business all the time and the show's about being efficient that that's that's the whole key if you do all these things you'll make it through the worst of the cycles i mean that that's that's the thing well, to remember is, is if you do the right stuff somebody has to make it through this because somebody has to move the freight and you just it's pretty basic you just do the right stuff you'll be okay well and this is kind of why it probably isn't the news on the economy probably isn't impacting me to the extent that it is some other folks. Um, you know, we tend to thrive when things are like this, uh, just because of our level of efficiency and, um, you know, being able to pass it, pass this along to people, uh, makes me feel good. Cause I know I can help them, uh, one way or another here. So, uh, 
uh, I've got a topic today that, you know, kind of goes to that point. I want to talk about uh, available horsepower versus required. And I'm sure folks are out there scratching their heads saying, how in the hell does this relate to the economy? But it, it absolutely does. And uh, um, so that's, that's what I had in mind for today. Good. You know, honestly, what we talk about here on the show, keeping trucking efficient or making trucking more efficient, that is a really good thing for our economy. You know, we do it to help, you know, each individual and help trucking. But honestly, we know that what drove inflation this time was a lot of the supply chain problems. And if we can help make the supply chain more efficient, well, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, as much as you, you hate to say this, we all know it's true. Um, this down cycle is going to wash a lot of people out here that are not efficient and, and they're not taking care of business. And, you know, this is sort of how we recover. You know, rates will come back yeah. up as capacity tightens. Uh, we talked about the fact we had all this government money floating around and we had a lot of people that are holding on that probably should have washed out by now. Um, so it's really, I think, even more important that we focus on efficiency. We focus on the latest technologies and how to use them properly. We all know that they cost a fortune. And if we don't use them correctly, we're not going to get the full benefit out of them. And that can be problematic for your operation. So this available versus required horsepower, I think, is the very, very basic concept behind today's technology and, and downsped and, you know, how I talk about multiple gears at highway speed. I think this will make it clear as to why that's important and how it can significantly improve your, your operations bottom line. Hey, you know, it's Friday, so we're allowed to do whatever we want on Fridays. We try to make things weird. Um, so I, I've got mm -hmm. a bunch of thoughts. All of a sudden, I want to get out of my head. Um, one one of the things I thought about maybe doing today, but I, I like yours, so I, I want to go with yours. And the one I'm thinking of, I want to plan a little more. Um, you know, we, we kind of do a series called Back to the Basics, where we just take a topic, and it could be anything. It could be something to do with health, could be money, investments. We do it a lot with the trucks, the mechanical stuff. And we'll take a system on the truck, and we'll say, look, we are going to pretend you know nothing about the intake system you know and we're going to start from scratch we're going to explain every step how it works and people have loved it i mean no matter what topic we pick people really like that so i thought you know when it comes to fuel mileage if you get back to the basics even if it's really basic there's a lot to talk about because you have to talk about everything that could impact fuel economy and then explain. So it, it really, it all comes down to physics, but we have aerodynamics to work on. We have parasitic drag to talk about. We have, um, you know, rolling resistance. We have the engine efficiency, which is something you've really focused big on. And honestly, is probably one of the more complicated topics when it comes to, you know, fuel mileage, there's a lot going on with that. So, but I think if we can go back and, and say, look, here are the basics. Here are the physics that you have to overcome to be able to use less fuel. And just, you know, just take a day or maybe even two and just go through all of that from start to finish. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And I think today with the modern downsped engine designs, um, I think a lot of people are very confused about exactly how this is supposed to benefit them. Right. And, you know, even salespeople are having a, a very hard time with this. And when you get the spec wrong and you don't get the full benefit of the downsped technology, it can go really bad for yeah. you because now you're going to have these exorbitant emissions system cost. And we're, I'll talk about a guy that sent me a private message that's, that's having this exact problem and it's all based on his rear axle ratio. And hopefully we've got time to walk through that, but you know, it's not just the fuel efficiency. Now, now it is the cost to maintain that emission system and even engine wear. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of products and, and stuff on the market that, you know, we can put into a poorly spec truck to help to control some particulate and soot, but that doesn't solve the problems of the the power curve and, and how that truck's going to perform and even how many times that piston's going up and down the bore so you can directly relate that to engine wear. So it's very, very important that we get this base specification spot on and that means having the gearing optimized for the power curve on the engine to give you the most versatility to pull different loads in different terrains. And in the past, we've always talked about one gear at highway speed, always. Right. Um, even when even when we re-ratio a truck and we talk about driving uh, 264 in direct, that's fine for a non-emissions truck with an old-style transmission. And hopefully today we're going to see why that's not such a good idea with a new emissions truck and an optimized, you know, uh, gear set in a transmission. So yeah, a lot good. of things to put together here. Good point. You know, um, the other project I want to talk with you and John on, um, I started a book on fuel mileage years ago. We and there, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of material there. And af- after a while, I figured, you mm-hmm. know what? This would make a better course than a book. So we have all mm-hmm. the material. I I was really, you know, I broke everything down, did all the basics, and really where I was kind of stopped was the engine technology because I knew I needed to go do a really deep dive. All the engine technology was changing. Everybody was doing their own proprietary things. And that's kind of where I stopped because I needed to do so much research on that. Well, you've done a lot of that. I mean, we have all of that now. Uh, So I'm thinking Mm. the three of us as a combined project um, build that fuel mileage course. Sure. Sure. It it makes sense. And there's some basics that apply across all the technologies. And I think this um, available versus required horsepower, it's definitely going to apply across the Volvo, a Detroit, a Cummins. Now, they may have slightly different solutions to um, to this, but it, it's going to apply universally across all platforms. Uh, what we're trying to do in order to reduce emissions and, and do it in a fundamental way at the base spec, so we don't have to, you know, treat the hell out of the fuel in order to get the truck to run right. That's expensive in its own right, and it yeah. doesn't solve yeah. all the problems. It it it, it 
can very well take care of some emission problems, but you're definitely not getting your optimized fuel mileage or productivity or even drivability out of it if you if your your gear training your rear axle ratio are not optimized. And you know you sat through an eight hour course where we were talking about tractive effort at the wheel end and doing a lot of complicated math. We'll try to simplify that a little bit today. Yeah. I just want to get the base idea across so people start to look at this a little different way and and they they get off this hang up of being in a single gear at highway speed and hopefully i can explain why it's important for that to happen and then we can kind of go from there excellent all right so i just looked down the phone lines are slammed um which is kind of odd um I want to really get to this topic. I had an interesting call yesterday on a topic that has been brought up several times over the years. I have some pretty uh, strong opinions on it, and it's actually um, our first caller. So I think what I want to do, and I'll talk to you a little bit about because I think you might have some ideas about this topic, too. Uh, We'll bring that caller Mm -hmm. in, and then we'll come back and we'll start that fuel mileage thing because this one has... Nothing whatsoever to do with fuel mileage. So here's the thing, and and we're going to bring in uh, Charles. He's in Louisiana uh, to talk to him about this. I was approached the first time with this idea like 25 or 30 years ago. It was a long time ago somebody brought it to me. When they first brought it to me, I thought, wow, that's a really good idea. Uh, I actually started to get involved. Um, And then once I really kind of dug in, I found out that it wasn't a good idea. It was actually a horrible idea. And it's been brought to me probably five or six times in the last 25 years. People keep bringing it back. And I tell them the same thing every time. I I can't see a way to make this work. And the idea is using trailers as billboards for advertising. So an owner operator, maybe who owns his own trailer, we have a company that, you know, kind of manages all this. They go get the advertisers, they get the owner operators, they put it together and owner operators or small fleets or big companies, whoever use their trailers as advertising space, billboards sounded like a great idea. It's an awful idea. And I I doubt that anybody's ever going to be able to figure out how to make it work. And And I'm going to, so what do you think about that? Yeah, any thoughts? Have you ever talked about it, thought about it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only way that you make that work, um, I, I don't know that, you know, big national companies really make that work effectively. Um, individuals, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like myself that have a strong social media presence um, and, like I'm actually out on the road driving. I think I could probably make something like that work to a certain degree to a very specific set of, of maybe like corporate sponsors that would be interested in what I'm doing. But on a, on a, a big scale or a wide scale, I, that would be really hard to make work. I think, okay. um, so, you know, and- people look, looking at trailers, it, it, it it becomes difficult, I think. Yeah. And, and like I said, I have two big reasons, a bunch of little ones, but um, we'll bring Charles in so we can talk about this all together. Charles, welcome. Hey, nice to talk to you, Kevin, Joel. 
Yeah, great to have you here. How you doing? Um, You know, I I really like to encourage people. I love business. I love new startups. I love new ideas. I hate to be the one that rains on somebody's parade, but uh, I'm going to drop, you know, golf ball size hail on yours. And I'm and I want to hear it okay. because uh, so, I'm early enough that if you if you inform me that it's a total disaster at this point, if you make a believer out of me, <laughs> I, I might be able to pivot to okay. a direction that's good. Uh, you know. Good. So I'm not going to be mad at you, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know what? When I have these conversations, like I said, I love ideas. I love business. I hope somebody can convince me I'm wrong that there is a way to overcome this and make it work. But I don't, I haven't found it yet. Here are the two big problems we have to overcome before we even look at the little problems. The big one is that advertising uh, is all about image, reputation, all of that. Now, when you talk to the general public about driving on the roads with trucks, is the is the response it. going to be positive or negative? It's it's negative, and, and let me reinforce this for you. So, Ploger Transportation spends a fortune trafficking up trailers for a fleet our size. We probably put a little bit more money in it than normal. And early on, we had an 800 number plastered all over that trailer, and I thought, <laughs> man, what a great way to get drivers. To call, you know, I thought oh, this is we're going to knock it out right, of the park. But you got the wrong. Uh, the only calling. problem, <laughs> yes. Well, it, it, it's cars complaining about how crappy your drivers are, and so everything on that trailer gets associated with something negative. Yep. And that is the big problem to overcome. The, uh, in my mind, the only way you put advertising on a trailer is if it's something that's trucker specific, aimed at truckers or fleet managers or something like that then you've got a shot at making that work. But let's just pick a store out of, out of thin air. I don't know, JC Penny. And you want to put a big ad on there and supposing that truck cuts some people off no, not right supposing. in their mind. It now will. they're pissed off. Not supposing. Yeah. It yeah. Will. Yeah. And, uh, and they are pissed off at JC Penny and they're calling JC Penny, you know, they're calling and they're bitching about it. It, it, it will just overrun you with, with and negative for, Every positive call you get, you get 500 negative calls. And here's the problem. Even good drivers, even really good drivers still piss off the general public. Yes, yes, it happens. There's no way around it. And that is the problem. The general perception of truck drivers is kind of like Congress, you know. (laughs) Most people just aren't (laughs) fond of truck drivers on the road. And it's second second something happens that big billboard turns into this big target for negativity and it's it's a it is a problem so charles that's the big one let's say we overcome that then there's another really big problem so let me put the two big ones out there and then we'll talk about it let's say we overcome the reputation thing and i'm not sure how we're going to do that it is really bad i don't know if we can get across how how bad that issue is (laughs) but the next one is just as bad because it it goes to the revenue model and why it doesn't work even if we ignore all the pissed off people because you might say look yeah i know we're going to get pissed off people they'll complain they'll call but we're going to get good calls somebody will see this and we'll make a sale except you don't and here's why 
And I didn't get this because I didn't understand advertising. I had to go figure it out. Advertising, honestly, is about one thing. Repetition. It's about three things. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Think about the commercials you hear when you listen to a radio show. You're the same damn commercial over and over six times during the show, and you've been hearing it for the last three months. That's how advertising works. That's how it has to work. Now, you put a message on a trailer, and the if I see it today, the odds of me ever seeing that message again are really slim. There is no repetition in this form of advertising at all. You can't you don't know who's going to see your trailer. You have no way to track who's seeing your trailer. It it just all the things you have to do to create an, a really effective advertising campaign, you can't with this model. I, I agree. Yeah, You're I, starting I out behind the eight ball, there's no doubt. Oh, there's no doubt if this was simple and straightforward, it would have been done a long time ago because, you know, the billboard industry has about 350,000 billboards in the country. They generate about $7 billion worth of revenue. Um, so it's a do big you, number. Do you know why billboards uh, work? Why is that? Because commuters going back and forth, right, they can, see that billboard they can over play and over and over and over and over. That's the repetition part. And there, is, and there is, I mean, generally in advertising, the rule of seven is that, you know, nobody buys anything until they see it seven times. That's a good that's point. The, how, you know, people, how, that's yeah, common deal. With this trailer thing, how can I set this up so people see it seven times? Well, what we want to do is, first of all, we're coming at it from a little bit different angle. Traditional advertising is built around branding, branding, branding. So Coca-Cola, Levi's, you know, General Chevrolet, whatever, they, they're into that brand tradition of branding up products. What we want to do is to come at it more from the modern Internet marketing point of view where you put a really sweet offer in front of somebody and you get them to move right then. And what the part of the truck that we really don't want to wrap trailers, it's very expensive, very cost inefficient. What our sweet spot is the back of the truck, a small ad on the back of the truck, which makes it even worse because now we've limited well, yeah. again how many times somebody's going to see something. Let me give you an, an, an analogy of your idea of the offer is so good, you can't pass it up. Well, first off, if I'm the advertiser, if I have to make an offer that good, I'm probably losing money somewhere. I mean, this better be a damn good offer if you're going to grab somebody with one. Right. So now as an advertiser, you're going to come to me and say, look, you got to spend this money to advertise and you got to give me this killer deal. Oh, wait, why would I do that? I'm going to lose money if I do this. Well, Well, and let me give you an example. My business, I, I'd love to have more business. Everybody in business wants more business. So how do I do it? Well, I have to advertise, I have to market. Well, using this logic of make, you know, make it so good, we're only going to be able to get this to their eyeballs once maybe. So in my business, why don't I, why don't I go borrow a bunch of money 
and run one Super Bowl ad. Because it wouldn't yeah, work. It, it's I would get war. killed. Yeah. That would never work. But it's the same thing. I, I, I'm going to get one shot at somebody's eyeballs and I have to sell them in a minute as they're driving by this trailer. I, I can't sell yeah, that. It, I, there's it, nothing it, I can put on that trailer that would convince somebody to, to, to make that call. It is a challenge for sure. To come up with the right pitch that someone really likes. But there's one change in technology that I do think makes things different. And that is that what we want to do is to pretty much, I mean, the phone and the car have almost merged together. Everybody, at least in any car in the last decade or so, um, has, you know, hands-free dialing. You push the button, hey, Charles. whatever, talk in. Char- Charles, yes. let me jump in there. Because there's another problem that you're at, you're going to face when you go to your potential advertisers. The trend is nobody okay. wants phone calls anymore. Nobody wants that actually you, is true. Nobody that wants you to problem. call them anymore because it's expensive to have people answering phones all day. So they want you to go to their website. We do not want to be encouraging Every people to go to their website while they're driving. No, no, nobody, you don't want to encourage anybody to go to the website while driving. That's an absolute fact. Right. So, so, so the idea of the car and the phone merging doesn't help us. Well, there are, there are still significant numbers of companies out there that take calls, that they have call centers, that they're, hey, they have hey, offers out there. Hey, Charles, Charles. Do you want, again, I'm I'm, I'm throwing, you know, now I'm up to baseball size hail. Um, Do you you really? But so the trend has been less phone calls, more internet forever. And that trend is accelerating. And you're saying there are still some people out there that do it the old way. We're going to go build a business to try to serve people that are doing things the old way. And the trend is going the other way. You have a point, but I also know that those companies still have call centers. They still, you know, they still put out offers to send phone calls. Let me do this. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to put a little pressure on you. Okay. Give me a <laughs> give me a sales pitch you could put. Pick any product you want. Pick your best product. Cherry pick it. Right now, cherry pick it. Give me the best idea, the best product, and the pitch you're going to put on the back of the trailer that's going to sell us all. Uh, okay, just one moment. Uh, we... Well, for instance, there are many, many dating companies that have a hard time getting ads. So if I have a uh, dating site, male, you know, that is designed for men, we say, hey, over 30, looking for a serious relationship, blah, blah, blah. Call the number. You know, good graphics, sweet little uh, catch. It's going to get a lot of phone calls. And then, hey, Charles, wait a minute. I, we don't want to encourage people to call while they're driving. And is this 
geared towards truck drivers? It would be That's geared towards anybody on the road. But so, just so you know, uh, for a very short period of time, I was uh, an owner of a website that was basically, you yep. know, farmersonly.com. We were kind of, you know, the, oh, okay. the truckers love connection. Ah, okay. Yeah, that site doesn't exist anymore. I, I <laughs> we, we kind of had it because I wanted the, it's Aaron, actually. And there's a long, funny story behind how Aaron ended up with that website. But it worked out well because that's how I met Aaron. Aaron's now our business partner, does all of our IT, our websites, everything. But that site doesn't exist. Yeah. It, there was no way we were moving forward hey, Kevin, with that Kevin, site. Kevin, let me stop you for just one second so everybody's not confused. So you met Aaron on a Love Connection website. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to clarify that real quick. (laughs) That probably didn't sound all that good. No, you're right. Let me me correct that. So I'll I'll kind of give you the short version of the story. Aaron started a company building websites for people. That's what he does. He's really good at it. And one of the sites somebody was paying him to build was this trucker's love connection. And they were just getting it started. It was new. They got it all set up. They were trying to get business for it. The owner died and hadn't he owed him a bunch of money and the site wasn't making any money and his widow told Aaron I can't pay you I'll give you the site because that's all I have so now Aaron goes from being a you know computer website builder designer to he now owns a website and he's got to start making money with it so obviously (laughs) he needs to learn the trucking industry because he wasn't in it we met him at a truck show he was there trying to get business. I saw the site, fell in love with their design and their functionality and said, whoever built that site, I want them to build our site. And when I found out the price, the only way I could afford it was to make Aaron a, a partner. Um, and it all worked out great. I mean, it was a long time ago. It worked out great. But thank you, Joel. We did not meet on the dating site. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just wanted to be clear. I yeah, mean, we had some right. naked gardening going yeah, on earlier in the year, yeah. and now now the yeah. love connection. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. All right. So, Charles, I that you you've been a good sport, really, and it, we can continue talking about this. But this is you've got a tough way to go. I haven't heard an idea yet that's going to change my mind on this. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, the other part I think you really got to seriously consider is there is a liability associated with a truck when it is rolling down the road. And if you have a customer that's going to choose between a billboard, which essentially has no liability associated with it, and a truck that they have no control over, that driver that's getting in that, and a guy happens to get in there drunk and kills 14 people, and their ad's on the back of that trailer it's not going to work out well. And I don't think most companies are going to be willing to accept that type of liability because when they do have the accident, we all know what attorneys do. They look to see who has the deepest pockets and it's never the truck driver. If it's an owner operator, it's never the owner operator. It's the company they lease to, or maybe who had the ad on there and they're going to say, Oh, this advertiser didn't do their due diligence. We're going to bring them into the lawsuit as well. 
and and Trump. So will, there's, will, a, will, there's a yeah. if you, if you a, think that's a huge outrageous. liability there. Yeah, and if you think that's kind of way out there or outrageous, it's not. One of the things we've been talking about for the last decade in this industry is something we call nuclear verdicts. We're, we're terrified in this oh, yeah, industry yeah. of nuclear verdicts. You hit somebody and kill six kids at a bus stop, man, that becomes worldwide news just about. And they go after everybody. They go after the brokers. They go after the last shop that worked on the brakes. I mean, they, they go after everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge issue right there. The liabilities is a concern. Um, it's, I mean, everything you've said is is true, and everything. But I do think, like I said, there are advertisers who have a hard time getting their message out, and they want, you know, they're constantly looking. If we can show them, it's not for everybody. It's not for every ad. It's not for wrapping trucks. It's you know, sort. It is sort of a niche thing related to so to. Uh, Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you an offer. Like I said, okay. I, I wanted to, you know, hail on your parade. I wanted to hit you with everything I could. I'm an entrepreneur at heart, always have been. Love challenges, love it when people tell me you can't do that. It's never going to work. I've been told that before and I've yeah. ignored them and I've made things work. So I know it can be done. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't tackle this one, but... Maybe you have some reason. Okay. That, and, and if you decide to tackle this and you, you get some progress and things are going well, I would be willing to talk to you about helping you find the trailers. Owner operators, okay. athletes, whoever, we have huge inroads into that. So if you can get this off the ground, looks like it's going to work. And, and you wanted to, I'll throw the offer out there. We could talk about, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm, I'd love to see this work. I don't think it's going to. I haven't heard any ideas yet. But if you decide to try it, I'd be willing to help. Here's something yeah. else. Have you thought about this yet? When you approach an advertiser, what is the yeah. offer? Like, what is the contract length that you need them to commit to? That's... You know, that's in, in most advertising, they want people to commit to, you know, three, three month or six month kind of offers. That's, that's the biggie, but I don't know what we're going to do. They're going to have to pay the setup cost. We're not going to pay for their, their, so they're paying a setup cost like you do on a billboard. And so I would assume they're going to want to stay for at least three months. They're not going to want to shift that many times. So here's where this becomes a financial issue. And Joel, you can weigh in on this because you understand the cost. In three months, as an owner operator, if you are contracting to put these ads on my trailer, I'm going to lose a day of work every time I have to have an ad put on. I have to take time. I have to go right, off the road. I've got to go take that trailer down. I've probably got to leave it there at the graphic shop. And we have a cost. Now, if the advertiser has to incur that cost, you've got to be able to sell them on that cost. But as an owner-operator, if I have to go down twice in three months and lose a day of work to get this graphic on, how much are you going to pay me? I don't know if you can make it worth my time to lose those days. 
that that's a, that is a part of the puzzle that um, I am that is really sort of a, a new thought to me in the sense we haven't really addressed that. Uh, so uh, we 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 struggle. Team. Yeah, we struggle with this with our own graphics on our own trailers when they're new and they come in, they have to set in the yard, you know, and kind of wait their turn to get the graphics put on them. And I'll tell you, my sister-in-law has a fit, you know, she's looking at them numbers and she's like, get them goddamn trailers moving. What are we doing here? You know, but it's, uh, yeah, so you're going to be anybody that understands their numbers and understands just the downtime alone is going to be minimum $1,500 a day. Here's that, something. That's going to be minimum. Here's something else to think yeah. about. You've, I've got graphics on my trailer. That customer's contract expires or whatever. They don't renew it. You now call me or send me an email and say, hey, we're going to switch out the graphics. What if the owner-operator just doesn't go? How yeah. do you enforce this? I, look, I, I, hell, I'm not taking another day off. I'll do it next week. I'll do, now, all of a sudden, you've got somebody getting advertising that's not paying anymore. Yeah, the, that that the, part of it is is a tricky part of the equation. How to keep the drivers, you know, fulfilling their knowing that they're <laughs> right. And then the other thing that's going to rain on your parade here also is. Okay, let's let's just take let's say Kmart. Okay, I put a big Kmart uh, ad on my my truck, and I have to go to a Walmart distribution center. <laughs> oh, a lot of these right. places throw a bitch fit about that's that. Right. They absolutely do. We don't so, want their damn trailer on our property. I, I've hey, seen that happen before. Hey, so hey, Charles, you got to think about that as well. Charles, let me give you a good example yeah. of this that a lot of people don't realize. UPS has a lot of vehicles on the road, don't they? Oh, yeah. Can you tell me who makes any of their trucks? No, I know they take the insignia off. You know why they do that? (laughs) Probably because they deliver for all the companies that make trucks. Just what Joel said. They do not want to pull into a Freightliner operation with a camera truck. No, that's... Yep, that, that's exactly right. So that that is that is a problem. There will be companies that are sensitive to that. Not all of them are, but there will be companies that are sensitive. And if you go to owner operators, then that can be very problematic for them because they're married to that same trailer. The other problem you have is you go to a Schneider, you put this fancy dancy ad on there, and then it goes out to the Salt Lake City terminal, and it ends up sitting in their drop lot for two months before it moves. Yeah. You know, that shit happens. They've, they've got four or five trailers to, to every truck. And, you know, trailers, even in our fleet, Ploger Transportation, our trailers only accumulate, you know, twenty five or 30,000 miles a year. The trucks accumulate 125,000 miles a year. So that's, that's problematic as well. Um, there's just... Oh, man, there's a lot to overcome there. But, uh, you know, a, a positive attitude and, you know, somebody that wants to do something and they're motivated, you know, who knows what'll happen. Well, I appreciate it. And y'all have raised, I'm really happy I talked to y'all because there's a lot of, a lot for uh, me and my partner to unpack on this call. And, you know, we have to, we have to address the issues. And we recognize that there's a lot of reasons that, you know, if it was easy, people would have done it in the past. And we do see it, you know, sort of a a knit project, not something that's for everybody, not something that's going to, you know, it's not a 
it's not something that will be, um, you know, some gigantic. I don't think I'm going to, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos isn't going to lose any sleep over me. Let's put it that way. Hey, hey but Charles. I, there, <laughs> I believe there's a niche to make it. A couple more things for you. Not that we haven't beat you up enough already, yeah. but we might as well throw it all in there. <laughs> um, have you ever... But you might as well keep up. Yeah. Have you ever watched the show Shark Tank? Yes. Okay. Because I learned a lot of good business lessons on Shark Tank, and here's one of them. You have to be careful even when you have a good idea, and I'm not so sure this is. I mean, on the surface, seems like a great idea. So you start digging into all the problems, then you see this is a real challenge. Let's say you do breakthrough. And you prove that there's a way to do this. Well, whatever way you prove is going to be pretty obvious. However you just figure out to overcome this, it's going to be pretty obvious. What's going to stop some advertising agency that already has all the advertisers? They do their billboard work. They do their radio (laughs) work. They do their TV work. Now all they have to do is say, oh, by the way, we have a new opportunity for you. They have all the customers already. That actually is is a big concern in terms of if we can get past the hump even, that's a concern that I have because I don't think I, I don't think uh, that's probably been my one of my big concerns about the whole project from the beginning that I think if we can prove it up that sort of simple ads with great little offers can work. Uh, we'll we'll have so, a hard time holding the market very. I, I I forgot one more thing here. What's um what is your <laughs> what's your background and what's your partner's background? Yeah, we both came out of internet advertising, okay. internet marketing. Okay, good. And so that, that's why yeah, for was, us it looks like an internet. Yeah, I was going to say everybody that brought this idea to me in the past was in trucking. And the problem I said is, look, advertising is complicated, technical. It's part science, part art. I mean, it, it's it's kind of crazy. And you guys have zero experience in that part of this. And that's what this business is all about. It's not about trucking. This isn't trucking at all. This is advertising. And, and everybody that brought it to me had zero advertising experience. One example you may want to go look at, um, remember Kevin, when progressive insurance was doing a deal, if, uh, if you bought insurance through them and you put fairings on your truck, somehow they would cut you a deal on the bill. If you put their name on the, on the belly fairing, that's right. Remember that, yeah. that was four or five and that came to an end pretty quick. So I, I don't know exactly what happened there. You may want to investigate that. I, I'm assuming they ran into a bunch of the stuff that we just talked about the negative part of it. And, and, uh, it, they just quit doing it. So you may want to investigate that. And it, that may give oh, you a heads up on, you know, what you're thinking about here. I will indeed. Yeah, at this point of the of our operation, we were trying to see, you know, if we could even get trucks to sign up, owner operators who wanted to sign up. So, you know, we have a website up. Anybody can go to Extra Mile Ads and wants to, uh, you know, we're not. There are a lot of scams in the uh, the auto car truck advertising. There are people out on the West Coast who actually charge car owners to put an ad on their car that you should those guys some of them are being investigated by da's and stuff completely bogus 
But our thing, all we're asking drivers to do at this point, owner-operators to do, is to go to the website, register, and let help us get to a critical mass so we can even try to see if we can make the thing work. Well, because we, without, the, without the trailers, we can't even get to the point of, of uh, right. the rest of it. Right. So the, well, the trailers are still Charles, we'll help you out with this part. For, do you have the website? Is it up mm-hmm. and running? It's up and running. ExtraMileAds.com. And it's a simple sign-up process. And all they're doing is just saying, hey, if you get this rolling, I would like to yeah. see yeah. offers that I might want to show. And, and that's a good way to start. So let's get it out there again. It was extra. Now I forgot it already. That's why we have to say it a lot of times. Repetition. Mile. Repetition, my friend, extramileads.com, extramileads.com, extramileads.com. There There we are. Three times. There you go. Now, (laughs) um, Angie just asked me, is it extra X-T-R-A or extra E-X-T-R-A? I'm assuming E. E E-X-T-R-A. Got it. Okay. So we'll keep putting that out there. Um, are you a member of either one of our websites, healthytribe.com or truckingtribe.com? No, I'm not, but I've, I've been very, I listened to some of your content, you know, when, after I talked to your really gung-ho friend, Steve, yesterday, and um, I listened to some of your content and I'm very impressed. It's very, I really like your show a lot. Well, thank you. You turn out some great content. I appreciate that. So if you want, join Healthy Tribe and Trucking Tribe. It'll cost you a whole three bucks a month each. Um, but okay. and we're, we're, we don't do any advertising on that site, really. We don't get sponsors. We have no sponsors on there. Um, we advertise some of our stuff on there is about as far as it goes. But if you want to jump in there and, and ask people about it and start a conversation, say, hey, you know, it, our site's kind of like Facebook. It's like a big Facebook group. In fact, okay. both of our sites used to be Facebook groups, but we got so tired of being censored. Oh, okay. We got so tired of being censored on Facebook, especially on the health side of things, that we just moved off Facebook, created our own sites. But it's the same thing. You put up a post. People can comment on the post. You can get conversations going back and forth. So join, put a post up and say, hey, here's my site. We'd love if you'd go check it out. And if you're interested, sign up. If you have any ideas, get a conversation going on there. Get some feedback from owner operators and drivers. Well, I will absolutely do that. Like I said, I I liked your post. I listened to part of the show, you know, before I came on when I was, um, you know, waiting to come on. And a lot of, I agree with you, a lot of stuff. I think y'all guys have a great analysis, the economy and politics and everything. It is a challenge and business is a challenge. And um, so I will do that. I've enjoyed this. Y'all are the first guys to really beat me up on the air on this. I've been on a couple of other uh, podcasts and stuff who've been, ridiculously positive and, um, <laughs> and so, so, yeah just just call us Debbie Downer okay we are but we'll see how it goes and I will join your sites and I'll uh, I'll be involved and I'll be in touch okay uh, yeah and one more thing because I know you want your partner to hear this okay. and I know how hard it would be for you to take everything we just threw at you and convey it to him. But all you have to do is get our app, which is free. 
and you can yep. listen to all the past shows anytime you want. So you can just have him listen to the show and you don't have to try to convey all that information to him. Yeah, that's, that's a great plan because y'all have given me about 117 <laughs> things to think about. <laughs> right. That's our job. That, that is indeed. So I do appreciate it and it's been fun. And, and y'all really made me, there's quite a few things you made me think about here. So, uh, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll see how it goes and hopefully I'll get some enough guys signed up that we can begin to address the next steps. Excellent. So, and that's where we're at. Excellent. All right. We want to hear back from you too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll be in touch. All right. I really will. I mean, absolutely. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. Um, Joel, we have got, Mm -hmm. I think we broke a record. We might have more calls on hold than I've had since we started this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good thing. (laughs) So can we, can we skip the uh, horsepower thing this week and do it next week? Uh, Yeah, let's take some calls. I guess we got people calling. Let's take the call. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're piling on here. So let's, uh, let's go to Tennessee. Raymond, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. I, I've listened with very much interest to the last uh, dialogue there because I've been interested in that for years myself. I'm going to get in touch with this guy. Good, good. And maybe we can, I mean, I've always thought we got a got a driving billboard here, but I, I understand all your points too. So You know, and here's the uh, thing. That, here's the thing. Yeah. We do like challenges. Um I I don't know if this is a challenge that can be overcome. I tend to think it can't be, and I hate to be that negative, but I'll be positive in saying that if there was ever a group that could help somebody figure it out, he ended up in the right place. I you know, I agree with that. I think I think positive people with positive attitudes that are motivated even though there's a lot of challenges to overcome here, and we pointed out a ton of them, um, I, I wouldn't bet against the guy. You know, if you get a bunch of motivated people in the room, I kind of see this as a, like he had said, maybe a smaller yeah, type solution be. here. It, 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 I, I don't think it's going to be mainstream and acceptable to everybody, but, uh, you know, everything that we talked about, when you know the problems that are in front of you and you understand the problems and you're motivated and, and you, you're determined you're going to make this work and you get a few people around you, you know, things happen. So this will be well, interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, it will. And look uh, at, actually, honestly, look at, look at my business. I, honestly, there's only one of them in the country. There really isn't anybody else doing what I do. There's no other business quite like ours. And ours would never go mainstream. I would never take my idea of my business to Shark Tank and try to get them to invest in it. It's a small little boutique business that provides value to, you know, a core group and has created a nice living for me. But it's nothing more than that. That's exactly the same thing with my alpha drivers. I mean... I've got something here that I'm not aware of anybody else that's doing the exact same things that I'm doing, you know, working with some of the corporate people. It's a niche thing. Um, I worked my ass off at this and, um, it's 
starting to come together and starting to actually make me some money, which everybody told me, you're dreaming, this is crazy, it will not work, you know, just get in the truck, drive it, and shut your mouth, you know, you'd be better off, and uh, I just couldn't let it go, you know, so I, I understand that the power of positive thinking and, and if you're willing to, to put some effort behind it, you know, you can accomplish some things that everybody's going to tell you will never happen. And I'll tell you what, after that phone call, I'm encouraged by his attitude. We beat that. It was great. We beat that. Yeah. It, it, it was great. And not, not once. And he wasn't combative. Joel, that's exactly what I was just going to say. Not once did he fight back. He listened. He had a totally open mind. He didn't get defensive. He listened. That's a really good sign. Yeah, that would tell me if somebody's going to make it work, it'll, it'll be this guy. I went through that same thing with my brother and sister-in-law and the engineers that I work with. You know, they tell you this ain't going to work for something. And when I first started doing the things that I do, I'd get combative about want to fight with them. You know what I mean? And then I started listening to everything they would say. You'd write it all down, take all of the issues and then address their issues and then come back to them. They'd find some more, but it would be a little narrower list. We'd work that down. And then pretty soon you're at a solution that actually works. It's a lot of work, and it, you know you got to learn to to shut your mouth. He, that that dude had a great attitude. Yeah, there is did. no doubt. Yeah, I mean, he, he that that was pretty awesome. I was just waiting for him to to <laughs> you know get fired up and want to fight about right. this, but he kept his composure. He he listened and he understood. He understood what we were saying, and, and it bodes well for his future success. There's no doubt. I can tell you this: I would not. It'll, have, it'll work if it, you'll work it. That's my thing. If the Roles were reversed during that call. Yeah, I would not have handled that nearly as well as he did. I know I wouldn't have. Well, I've been there. Let me give you an example. (laughs) Exact same thing. An idea that nobody was doing anywhere. So you can't look at it and say, oh, well, they've already done it. Here's how you do it. Here's a way to make it better. Um, I was told over and over and over by people with lots of experience in the industry, that's a really bad idea and it's never going to work. And that idea was the CMC. And that event really, we've stopped doing it now, but we're probably going to bring something back like it. We did it for over a decade. That program was the biggest, really the only program in the industry like it. There's never been any other event for owner operators like the CMC. Our last year, we had 400 people there for five days. It was a huge event. When I first came up with that idea and I went out to fleets, to talk to fleet executives about getting their owner operators into the program. And um, here's what I was told. This is a really bad idea. And I'm like, well, why? They, they could really use this information. Look at how much we can help them. And he said, we can't get people to show up for a half hour safety meeting, no matter how much we bribe them. And you think they're going to pay thousands of dollars and come sit for days and days? Uh, yes, but it yep. worked. I guarantee that would have been my brother's answer to you. I guarantee you because that's what he's answer. used to right. seeing. Right. Yes. 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 
trucking executives used to dealing with a large group of drivers that are not singling out the talented ones, but have to deal with the the bitchers, the pissers, the moaners on a regular basis. And the talented ones, they just get shit done and they don't get noticed. So in their mind, every driver is, you know, a a bitcher and complainer. And so, yeah, you come in with this and they're looking at you like you got 14 heads going, what the (laughs) hell are you thinking? You know? Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's just a case of you knowing and targeting a specific audience that you know is there that nobody else realized was around. So yeah. And and in the beginning, I was able to make this work with just 25 people per event. That was my goal. If I can get 25 Uh people per event, I can make this work. And for the most part I did, but in the beginning, I remember doing a CMC once for five people. Two full days. It's like really? 11, 12 hour yeah. days of me standing up there and talking. And that's that was all I had in the room that time. Um, you know, obviously, right. I can't make any money like that. But uh, over time, I built it. And like I said, at the end, the program was huge. Um, and we're going to bring something like that back. Yeah. But I was told over and over and over by a lot of people in the industry that knew a lot about trucking said it's never going to work. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, that the Charles there really answered one of my questions. Uh, I've been hit up I don't know how many times by text of what people want to advertise, and I think they were scammers. Yeah, from who where they're from. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, anyway. Yeah, I've, I've even answered a couple or made phone calls or text or emailed them or something, but I never got any positive response. You know. So anyway. Got it. What can we help you with today? Uh, oh, the drop valve on the Volvo, remember? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Ex- exhaust, exhaust push rod connector thingy, whatever thing of a bob. Give me the technical <laughs> terms of that. I'm going to write it down here. <laughs> I posted this the whole uh, thing, so let me uh, let me read to you exactly what's on top of that bulletin and. Uh, Make sure that well, you've got the. No, I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar your website or anything, sir. I get no. I'm, I, I'll re- I, I, I will read you what this says, and then you can write it down, and then the Volvo dealer can look this up in their system because this is an official Volvo bulletin. And let me see okay. if I've got that right here. I think I've got it right here. Uh, of course, I do. There it is. Okay, so this is a field service bulletin. And it is exhaust, rocker, compression, brake, piston, repair. Exhaust, rocker, compression, repair. Brake, brake, piston, repair, yes. Brake, piston, repair. Yep. Yep. We got it. And if they want... Yes. Well, I can give you the group the number and the release so they could probably go in and look that up. I believe it was relate released on 20, uh, January 1st, 2017. It's group oh, two thirteen. Not that long. Okay. Yeah. Well, this January is for the older 1st. trucks. January 1st, That's okay. This will, this, this, this will cover that. Um, the releases. Yeah. Right. After, it, yeah. Right. Right. Next year. The re- release is group 213. 
the bulletin is number two zero zero two, and it's the first release zero one. Okay. So your Volvo dealer should be able to look that up. Well, uh, we we were discussing that the other day, and uh, I'm not really worried about the cause. I mean, mechanical things are going to break eventually. I mean, the reason you need to be concerned. Prevent that right. happening next time. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. right. If, that's if, why if you that's you need to understand if that's this. what happens. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost, all, almost guarantee you that's what happened. This is one of the things on a Volvo when you see a drop valve or a broken valve. Nine times out of ten, nobody has adjusted and loctited these little assemblies the way they are supposed to be. So when you go in and run the overhead. As soon as you start the engine, if you don't have those little assemblies um, in adjustment, the overhead's right back out of adjustment. So um, the, what we do is we have them run a cylinder balance test before and then a cylinder balance test after, and then we look at the variation between the cylinders, and it should always get better after you run the overhead. Now, you've got a drop valve. You're not going to be able to run the cylinder balance test beforehand, but you can run run one afterwards, and, and you should ha- see single-digit variance between the cylinders um, when that you truck's up like and running if, if the overhead's set right. Pressure between the Compression between the cylinders, compression right. It, 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 it's it's similar. It's it's the variance of fuel, and I forget what else is all involved in in that cylinder balance test. But it's it's making sure that all the adjustment, the compression, the fuel injection, everything is very similar between cylinders. And you know, it's not unusual when somebody runs an overhead and they don't have these what I call exhaust plungers adjusted correctly. You'll fire the truck back up, and you'll see. 10, 12, 14% variance between the cylinders, which the dealer's going to tell you is acceptable, but it's not optimal. And if you continue to run that engine, in my experience with that variance, it, it only gets bigger and it's only worse the higher the RPM goes and you will have issues down the line. I like to see between 1% and 7% variance between those cylinders. When I get in the double digits, I, you know, I'm having my guys look. They're going to tear that damn thing apart and figure out what in the hell is going on. And uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a stickler for that that cylinder balance test. Hey, hey Joel. That, that you know totally that. agrees with, with my old, old school mechanic brother-in-law who taught me that, that uh, the compression doesn't matter as much as long as it's all even. You know, I mean... It, you might have a hundred pounds on a cylinder. You might have ninety. You know, about what the what the compression is, as long as it's all even. Yeah. Hey, Joel, you, you, know, you want it balanced. That's correct. Joel, you know the yeah. the worst yeah. thing yeah. to hear correct. from from a shop. The phrase I hate hearing from any mm. shop when it comes to mechanical it, stuff. It's within spec. <laughs> it's within yeah, spec. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate that I, I hate that, too. Oh, yep. oh yep. my God. Because yeah, a, a lot of times you're right on the bad end of being within spec, and, you know, it, it just it and, creates all kinds of problems. And, and you know, what when they say it's within spec, I've learned to say, okay, show me what the spec is, and I want to make sure that I'm closer to the to the optimal rather than the, the back end of it. And then they're like, mm, you know, they're bitching and pissing and moaning because they got to go look everything up. And this is where I want. I don't care that I'm in spec. I want to know where within the range I am. And if I'm not right down there towards the best end of the scale, you're going to, you're going to keep working on my truck. 
Well, and here's something else to think about. A lot of times we're talking about complicated systems. Let's take something like the front end. Well, the where on this part is within spec, but just barely. Okay, you'll be all right. Except for the fact that there are four other parts on the front end that are all just barely within spec. And when you add all four of them together, it's a problem. (laughs) Correct. Correct. Show me what perfect is. Right. Tell me what the range is and then show me what perfect is and how close am I to perfect. That's what I want to know. If you're going to tell me there's a range, you need to tell me how close I am to perfect. Exactly. I don't want to hear that there's a range because that means nothing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Raymond. Good stuff. We're going to cut you loose because the phone calls are hot and heavy. we got to keep moving here. We're going to go to California. Byron, welcome to the program. Hey, have you ever found a different replacement for the Maxwell uh, batteries? I haven't. I haven't. Just that damn German thing, and they won't even talk to us. Yeah, I've been looking online, and I haven't come up with anything either. My Maxwell is about ready to check out, so. Really? What's wrong anyway, with that? That, thing, that thing's been tested over a million uh, starts. A, I don't know. I've had mine for probably five years, but the uh, last couple of days when I bit the starter, it, it, uh, it's all like almost like your solenoid kicks in or out. Today, I had the battery cover off when I hit it this morning and uh, threw a spark for the line went to the starter yeah okay yeah i I wish i had uh, a solution we keep looking and if anybody hears of anything or finds anything let us know um we're not finding anything yet hey i just uh i was checking on text because i had a lot going on matt sent me a really good idea for the advertising thing ambulance chasing lawyers (laughs) that's a great idea Injured, <laughs> injured by a big truck. Call the hammer. <laughs> yeah, put it right on the truck. What the hell? <laughs> oh, oh my! Man, how, how crazy is that? Uh, but it, he's he's uh, right. Uh-huh. That's that would be the easiest sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most likely. Well, you know what? If this would happen to take off, it might be a really good thing for the industry because then. The owner operators or even the company drivers, if they wanted to make extra money by putting ads somehow in the trailer, they would have to be acutely aware of their safety score because nobody would touch them yeah. if they if their if their safer system was bad. So yeah, absolutely yeah. interesting. Absolutely, um, Joel. Do you have any any insight on ultra capacitors? I I think there was a company called. <sighs> Onyx. I can't remember about uh, three or four years ago. I wanted uh, to try it, and I, I wasn't thrilled with with the Maxwell just based on some people that were giving me feedback that it had gone bad. And I thought, damn, you know, if I spend the money on this thing, I, I want it to last. And so the other one out there, I don't know why Onyx comes to mind. It may not be right, but anyway, they would start engines up to eleven liters and they would not guarantee it on a, on a third. Now I had my D 11s at the time and they were like, Nope, that's 11.6 liters. So oh we're boy. not going to, we're not going to guarantee <laughs> UP, U, UPS uses them and, and all their little delivery vans and stuff. And okay. they, they work great. And they, they sent the white paper over about how much money UPS saved. And, 
and uh, but they would they would you, not go past eleven liter. You know, it's really not that complicated of a product. You could build one of these in your garage. I mean, you can go buy the the parts and build an ultra capacitor yourself. And I, it's a little more complicated mm-hmm. to get one with the you know the 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 right isolator on the battery and some other things. But I mean, it, it's it's not that hard of a product to produce. I just don't think that there's ever been enough demand for it because people don't understand it. But I think in today's world, having an ultra capacitor for a starter and then using all your batteries to be as deep cycle as possible for hotel loads makes a ton of sense. You know, I, I was thinking about that. Um, so, I made a decision instead of going with the ultra capacitor, I was going to put solar on to maintain my batteries to a higher level. Um, when all the batteries are perfect, I never have a problem starting the truck. And at least that was the mindset, but you're right. If I could take a couple, maybe three of the batteries and then commit them to the deep cycle bank yeah, and then just have a single battery and an ultra capacitor to start the truck at that point, it starts to make sense. And if I have a very good solar uh, system on the truck, you know, getting that ultra capacitor up the snuff to start the truck, if everything's dead would be a hell of a lot easier too. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it does make some sense. I'm like you. I just I've run into a bunch of problems finding anybody here in the states. I guess they're pretty popular in in Russia and Scandinavia, where it's really cold all the time. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I I just haven't found anybody here that's that's really got their their uh, heart into the heavy duty commercial vehicle segments. Um, it yeah. seems like they're either for locomotives and great big huge stuff that's in the cold, <laughs> right. or um, right. or delivery vans. They just kind of leave us out of the fold for whatever reason. You know. I- like four or five years ago at Louisville, right over in our section. I mean, they were like, you know, three booths away from our section. There was a company building one of these just for a class A truck. I stopped. I got their card. I talked to them. It was a good deal. I mean, it was it was every bit as good as the Maxwell. The price was pretty reasonable. But at the time, we had a, a strong partnership with Maxwell. And, you know, our business model has mm-hmm. always been we never represent competing products. It, it, once we have a product that, mm-hmm. that solves a problem, we really don't want to confuse sure. the waters with, you know, another product. Even though in, in virtually any product line, there's always several good options. You know, you can say, well, we think this is the best, but we just, we, we, we've always done that. So I thought, well, I'll keep the card. If anything ever happens, I don't keep cards. I'm not organized. I have no idea who that company was <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I'll go back and try and look through my notes and stuff and see if I can find the name on, on, uh, the, the company that I had called and maybe, maybe they've rolled out something new. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I'll, I'll double check all that because it, it, it's been a while since I've I've chatted with them. So maybe I'll give them a call if I can find their stuff again. Yeah, or you know the problem with Maxwell was the fact that Tesla bought them. So maybe I need to call up Elon and see if I can just convince him to start making the start module again. There, there, there you go. Yeah, there you go, Byron. I wish we could have helped more, but uh, I don't have any good answers for you. Yep, I'll keep them. Digging around on the internet too. I see Maxwell's got you. You can bolt like six of them together to get your yeah, your that, eighteen volt. That, that but, 
kind of what I mean. Then you got to... The, the module's kind of built like a battery with cells, so you can actually, you know, buy cells and kind of wire them together, and you could do this on your own. I just don't know what kind of results you're going to get. Well, the biggest thing would you'd have to build a case to put them in, you know, know, that would handle right. the yeah the vibration, you know, yeah. and, and keep it stable so it didn't ground out on something. You know, exactly. That'd be the deal. All right. Well, we'll, All right. Uh, Thank you. we'll, we'll keep digging and we'll see what we can come up with. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Um, did you hear about the latest nuclear verdict? I don't know. Which one? Uh, it, it blew the record out of the water. It was over a billion. What? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, you gotta be kidding yeah. and, me! And and two, and it was like I'm pretty sure it was two fly-by-night companies. The the guy rear-ended and killed somebody. Uh, he didn't even have a CDF. So, ouch! <laughs> you know they awarded a billion dollars, but nobody is ever getting a billion dollars. Exactly. Oh, kind of ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Speaking of, this has um, nothing to do with hardly anything other than we're talking about crashes. I saw last night on the news um, some crash in California somewhere, and it, they've got it on video. It's at an intersection, and this Mercedes comes screaming through this intersection. It looks like he's going about 100 miles an hour. Killed five people. Wow. It was a, a it all you see afterwards you see the car coming and this is a crowded intersection like two lanes coming from all kinds of directions and there's cars everywhere and you're thinking how did this car even get going this fast in this place but it goes through the you can't even count how many cars it hits and the next thing is just a fireball and it killed five people. You know, what's going to happen here with with the extreme environmentalists is they're going to look at this kind of like they look at it as guns. And so they're going to go right at Mercedes-Benz and they're going to want to sue them for the way somebody yeah. drove their car. That's yeah. what's going to happen with this stuff. And, you know, they, they <laughs> I don't mean to make it an environmental rat, you know, but I, some of these extreme folks on, on, on the side of the environmentalists, they're, they're going to make these like guns and they're oh, evil. Well, and anytime there's an accident, you're going to sue the manufacturer of the car well, think uh, about along it. with the driver and the insurance company and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good analogy. Think about, they freak out. What do you need to, 30 round magazine for come on it's not that big of a deal yeah. a 30 round magazine is no right. big deal so it holds a couple more bullets so what i can kill people with a single right. shot but, you know i don't but right so now they're gonna look at cars and go why the hell do you need a car why that do you need 180 miles need to go, an hour it's 100 mile an hour. right hey, that's exactly what's gonna happen and that's yeah. gonna be a weapon then you yeah. know a weapon of mass destruction that's exactly right yep Definitely coming. All right. <laughs> Unfortunately. What else you got, Brian? I'll I'll probably catch a lot of hate for this, but I, I can I can really only think of uh, one way to to get at least half of everybody's attention with a trailer advertisement. I don't know how much perfume they sold, but you know, uh, the trailer sized Kim Kardashian and her underwear <laughs> on the side of the trailer. That's that, <laughs> 
that worked. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sex sells, man. There's no, no way around that. <laughs> yeah, but re- just remember, guys, but, anything that catches and holds somebody's attention is likely to cause an accident in this case. Cause an accident. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true, true as well. But a- anybody that has a very strong social media presence would stand a half a chance of making a, a trailer ad potentially working but then you you do have that problem of you know they're going to try to go to their site right as they're driving and and cause issues so insurance companies are going to frown on on that i'm sure yeah you know i already had a question on the website and i actually gave them a you know a different answer they it's um uh jeremy and tammy they the cars they do you know um, exercise videos for truck drivers on youtube show them how to use the X3 bar, mm-hmm. how to use their truck and trailer as a gym. I mean, they do great stuff. And they just said, oh, should we not put this on the back of our trailer? Oh, no, hell no, you should. You're the perfect. If you own the trailer, hell yeah, put it back there. Advertise the hell out of your own stuff. Yeah, they're already taking that liability and risk. Right. Yeah, your right. own stuff, your own business, yeah. absolutely, because your liability is already there. Right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not that much of a, a leap, but for an outside company that has zero exposure right. or liability to transportation, right. why in the hell would you want to buy into that? Right, right. For, for, for these two, all of those downsides almost go away. You're going to spend money they a are, long time to put the ad back there, and it could stay yes. there for years. Yes. Right. It, it, all those they are the example of who could make this work. Yeah. Right. They are, they are the classic example of they could make this work. You know, um, there, here, there are circumstances, exactly. Let's think about this. I mean, if I really wanted to grow our business, and I really don't, I'm happy with our growth rate. Sometimes growing too much is a just as much of a problem as not growing enough. Um, and I don't, I don't want to grow a lot. I mean, I want a nice, slow, steady growth. But this wouldn't even be a bad idea for me. For me to just go directly to owner-operators because I have access to them all and say, I'll pay directly, I'll pay you this much to put my ad on the back of your trailer. And my ad actually sure. would work because the market it's I'm going after specific, is truck yeah. drivers and a lot of truck yeah, drivers you, will see those ads if I get them on enough trailers. Yeah, you've absolutely targeted your market and it, it's kind of captive and it, it makes sense. I'm, I'm doing something similar with my new truck that's coming through. You know, I work with Dana and I work with BASF and, you know, they want to they want to put a logo on there. I'm going to trucking shows. I'm going to conferences yes, and events yeah. with this thing. And so, and that instance it makes sense going down the road 99 percent of the people that see that thing won't know what the hell it means or even care right but trucking specific you know an owner operator is going by and he sees that and he's interested in fuel miles he's going to know every everything he needs to know just by looking at the side of the truck um so in in my instance it works in yours and the cars but in general the, the public perception is so negative and the liability associated with it it's it's a tough it's a tough entry for sure. It is. Watch this one. Watch me screw up my whole idea. Because I, I, I just had a brilliant <laughs> idea. On the back of my trailer, mm-hmm. not only am I going to put the ad, mm-hmm. I'm going to put a giant um, UPC symbol that they can just scan with their phone as they go by and download our app. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, oh shoot! Come, oh, the, come on, no, you yeah. stole the poor guy's idea. Come the, on, the, the, you get uh, you get Garmin, you get Garmin to make a dash cam that automatically oh, scans codes for that's you right. while you're going down the road. That's right. Yes, what an that's awesome how that idea. works. What an that's awesome how that idea. works. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the, the lawyers this, are salivating. This guy's probably better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh huh. Guys, probably no better off to to wait for like a year or six months and go to an auction and get a bunch of storage trailers and just park them in fields by the interstate. That that actually, you know, that becomes a billboard and it is more effective. That's why billboards are effective and that's why billboards work. Or, you know, the advertising on a vehicle. I have seen some places where it works locally. Go to Vegas. My God, there's, you know, yes. a gazillion vehicles driving around Vegas with ads all over them. But that works. It's local. You'll, people will see those ads over and over and over. Right. When I was uh, delivering furniture on the West Coast and I would make my first drop up in Santa Rosa and then go down to San Jose, you know, with all the Oakland, San Francisco traffic. During rush hour, they've got a little cabin chassis with an actual billboard right. mounted on it, like a like a sprinter, right. and they pay these people to set in rush hour traffic with the bill. That makes sense. It does because somebody's yeah. staring at that thing <laughs> right. for, forever. But that same trailer running across Nevada, are you really getting your money's worth out of that? Who the hell's going to see it? You know, exactly. so right. yeah, yeah. Anything else, um, Brian? I, I've heard. I've heard you for years talk about how the difference between four mile a gallon and six mile a gallon is way bigger than eight and 10. And I thought, come on, that's bullshit. Two miles a gallon, <laughs> no. two miles a gallon. And, and I, after I called the other week there about the whole Volvo versus glider thing, I said, well, you know, I ought to put some numbers to this and maybe that'll kind of motivate me one way or another, make me less conflicted. And, uh, I was like, oh, no shit, he's right. It's like more than twice as much money. So so yeah. for me to go to 8 to 10, it, it would save me. At, I figured 100,000 miles at 4 bucks a gallon. It would save me 10 grand a year. But I'm like, what? it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me more than 10 grand a year to buy a brand new truck. But uh, I, And I know that's not really a fair comparison, but, you know, it's Kinda, no, no, it is. It, it, is. it, it yeah. is absolutely it is. a fair comparison. The, 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 the thing that a lot of folks are missing, especially guys that are coming out of that, those years, you know, your 2011, 12, 13, where we had a lot of emission problems. And this is the, uh, the private message that I got. So we've, we've got a guy, I think he was in a 2014 Volvo, the 336 rear end ratio and he is spending 30 cents a mile to keep the emission system repaired wow yeah right yeah yeah Yeah. now now here's what we know so you've heard me say before my my brother claims and i completely believe this that when you spec that same truck if it's spec right you're going to reduce that 39 percent at least in his case because 336 in the setup he had is just awful yeah and so he went into a volvo dealer and and everybody's heard me say that i think anytime you get over 1350 rpm as your 
average RPM when you're cruising, you start to get into the danger zone as far as emission system durability and pricing. So he took his truck to a Volvo dealer, said, I want to re-ratio this. And they ran a one-hour simulation on a computer uh, over various terrain. And they come back and they said, oh, you're only going to save, you know, 3% in fuel. And he went from 336 to 264. And I looked at the numbers, and they were exactly right. That 3% was spot on. And he's like, it's not enough to do it. But hold on a second. We missed some some pieces here. So when you looked at his average RPM over this course, and it was at 63 mile an hour, and they'd done it with several different weights, his average RPM with the 336 was 1,415 RPM, well within the danger zone. With the 264, it was 1,115. Wow. So yeah. he should be able to expect that 39% drop. So if he's spending $30,000 a year on his emission system, he may cut that to 18000 probably less. Now, now add that sense. to his, his 3000 or $4,000 in fuel savings, it really starts to make sense. The other part they didn't explain to him, and they probably didn't know, was they took the exact same parameters from the 336 truck and applied it to the 264 truck. If you optimize those parameters, put the gentle shift in it, ex- the rate of acceleration on cruise control, you take off some of the lower gear speed limitations, get rid of the eco-torque setting that was in there, I I think you gain another 3%. So now you're looking at 6% fuel, which still doesn't cover completely the cost of the, the ratio swap um, on its own in one year. But with the emission savings, it more than covers it. Unfortunately, the dealership just didn't have the knowledge to tell him, here are the other benefits associated with this. Hey, Joel, let's talk about another one. You know, when we look at Mm -hmm. fuel economy and savings, it's pretty straightforward. The only savings is the fuel. You just calculate it. Okay, their savings Mm -hmm. is the fuel. When we start talking about improving maintenance outcomes... You have to look at the savings on maintenance, but you also have to look at the downtime downtime that is a loss of revenue. Yeah. It is huge, 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 the downtime. And that's without even considering the downtime. So I I know that, you know, historically, we've always said on the show that, well, you know, a ratio change, it probably isn't worth it. You damn well better be looking at the power curve and and the gear ratios and the parameters to go along with that, because it could very well be worth it if they're struggling with emission issues. There is no doubt Absolutely no doubt, and this is why I kind of wanted to talk about uh, available versus required horsepower, there is no doubt that piston speed impacts emissions. Absolutely no doubt about it. It's why all of the manufacturers are going down sped. It's something we didn't understand uh, right out of the gate, and we were putting traditional gear ratios on emission engines, and we were having all kinds of problems. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we really have to rethink what we're what we're telling folks. Don't re-ratio that truck. It ain't worth it. We need to ask a few more questions. What's your emission system and maintenance cost look like? Yeah. And if it's very high and we've got traditional gears, there's a real good chance we make this work. Good point. That's an awesome segue, Joel, because that's actually what I claimed I was calling about. Um, (laughs) I I, I called about uh, reducing the cost of a gear change, and it kind of 
kind of every time somebody calls about spending, you know, mega bucks on a gear change, I I say, well, just spend, just double down on the mega bucks, and you could half the cost of the gear change, sort of. And uh, what I'm talking about is doing a six by two conversion the way you talk about, or as close as we're going to do as a retrofit without going crazy. Um, well, now you only have one gear to change, you know? So there's, there's that. The, the other thing that I've seen that makes this way less expensive actually is, you know, get online, start looking at salvage yards and you can yes. buy cutoffs yeah. that are low mileage that are, will not need to be, and just swap the housings and everything. Right. It's, pretty straightforward and easy. And I had a buddy that done that for like two grand. He done the work. I mean, and he went from a three thirty six to a two forty seven, and his results were just phenomenal. He realistically for real picked up a mile a gallon. The truck was faster because it was running in the torque curve. It pulled better. And everybody thinks, oh, if you go from this ratio to that, there's no way it can pull. It depends on the engine power curve <laughs> and how the parameters right. are set up. Right. You know, but nobody thinks about that. Right. We all have pounded in our head, get it in top gear. And we want this ratio to pull a hill, which is complete nonsense. It is nonsense. And and that th- when you apply that logic to today's engines, you're going to pay a heavy price for doing that. Yeah. Hey, real quick, um, is that correct that the the full six by two option, like you talk about, is like twenty grand? No. I didn't think so. It, it may list. It, 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 it may list for twenty grand. You will not from Volvo. You will not pay that out the door. I, it may come up on the list price. Yeah, because the, the list prices are just absolutely stupid. And of course, they want to show you what a big discount they give you. You know what I mean? But right. uh, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it will not be that much. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll try and talk to a couple different. Uh, 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 salespeople at dealerships, I know, and I'll, I'll see what the actual cost of most customers, um, you know, what my brother pays for trucks is not going to be realistic as to what an owner operator pays because he buys groups of trucks now. So I, I kind of hate to throw those numbers around because they're not, you're going to go into the dealer and say, Hey, this guy pays this. And they're going to go, there's no way in hell. You know what I mean? So, so I'll, uh, I'll talk yeah. to him and see on an individual on a one truck order, but I, I know it's not $20,000. It's, it, it is, more expensive than a six by four, slightly more, right. but um, it is not twenty thousand dollars. I'm, I'm surprised not everybody's specking it because I mean you're you're saving fuel even if you do run heavy a lot, right? Listen, here's the problem with this, and we've done such a poor job with six by twos in the past, and and there is one simple rule that. For whatever reason, it never made it here to the United States. Everybody was unaware of it. And uh, once you understand this rule and then you start to understand kingpin weight transfer to make this work, they work beautifully. So the idea is to get 25% of the gross combination vehicle weight on the drive axle. And for that to happen, when your axle down, you have to have a smart axle that can bias weight. And that's the trick. People that go to a 50-50 split, 
uh, you're going to have tire wear and traction issues, and that's what killed the whole six by two concept. A very yeah. careful, skilled driver can make it work, but your average Joe Blow can't, and th- so that poisoned the entire market for the six by two. The other piece of the puzzle is you have to, or you should have, a non-torque reactive suspension. Very common in Europe to have a weight biasing lift axle and a non-torque reactive suspension. Here in the United States, we're just like, oh, screw it. Pull the drive shaft out and slide that one forward and let's go. It does not work. It takes more sophistication than that to make it work to the level that people are expecting. Once you get everything right, they're phenomenal. They ride better. The fuel mileage is, everything is better on, in an on-highway application. Even the traction potential is, is better, better yes. because when you look at per- percentage of gross on that drive axle, anytime you're over 25%, your traction potential is better than a 6x4 with a 50-50 split. Joel, now that you, you know, when you explain how we've solved the problems, and like we said, we, we thought, you know, back in 07, 08, this was a great idea. And for the right driver, it was. Made a lot of sense. But it wasn't a plug and play for the industry kind of thing. But now that they've solved all those problems, why do we even build six by fours? They just really don't make well, sense. Well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, once you poison the waters, People remember this right. for a long yep. time, and so yep. so it's very hard with fleets. And Henry Albert's got his his Freightliner's version out, and they've done a good job on this one. Um, hats off to them; they they've done a pretty good job. Now, I'm a Volvo guy, so obviously, I think my Volvo system's a little better, <laughs> but it's a damn good system. Right. And we we needed that. We needed to have the you know, let's face it, Freightliner's the 500 pound gorilla in the room. They yeah. they yeah. control the market. They're out with a decent system now. Their system before this, it sucked. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah, you well, know, now you, you take a guy like Henry. It was horrible. It didn't take off. Yeah. I mean, it didn't catch right. on at you all. Could take, you could take a guy like, like Henry. He could drive the hell out of that system. Smart guy. Understand he had to do this at this time and this at that time. Most guys don't have that skill level. Henry could make it work. Nobody else could. So it's back to the drawing table. You know, I, I've been working on... And with Volvo on that system for over 10 years on this adaptive loading, you know, giving them feedback and, and different algorithms to make that weight biasing work and different suspensions. So we didn't have frame rise when we were light maintaining contact patch. I, I, we went through so much. I learned so much on that. It it was just absolutely incredible. But what it boiled down to is 25% of gross combination vehicle weight on the drive axle. And once I learned that, and I learned it through an online conversation with a guy from uh, Sweden that said, oh, well, you need to know this little fact. I was like, holy shit. We've been working on this for 10 years, and it's this simple. And sure enough, it was. It's this number. Yeah. You know, I wonder... How yeah. I wonder does anybody know how what percentage of Masia Valley's fleet is six by two? I, you know, I heard that they started to go away from it. Um, they were having some tire wear and, tra- and, and traction issues. The international system it did have some weight biasing, but it was after ABS detected slip. Oh. And it really doesn't do you a whole lot of good once you break traction to start to look. It was an improvement, but it wasn't good enough. And going down the road, like I had talked about forever, and the reason I got away from low rolling resistance and wide base tires on six by twos is you had that tire overspeeding, what John would call it in the racing industry, and I called it torque snapper or, or torque induced slip. 
So the driver may or may not notice it's slipping, but it's slipping. Um, you put a hub meter on the dead axle and a hub meter on the drive axle and you, you get out in difference. hilly yeah. terrain, you'd see it up to 10%. Yeah. So that's how much yeah. they were slipping. That's why they would wear so fast. And so there was a hell of a lot of work and research that I, I, I spent years on that. And I think now we have a system that, Honestly, it's just awesome. It kicks ass. Yeah, um, you know, I, I can't wait. Can't wait to get you in it and drive it, and you will feel it. Seat of the pants and hands on the steering wheel. You're going to know the second you put your ass in that truck. There's something special here. Yeah, you know that that slippage explains a lot because when we did start to see the tire wear on the six by twos, it didn't make sense. I'm looking at him like that. There's that just doesn't even make sense. <laughs> we had one guy who who tried and he called me before he tried it. And he knew the risk. He wanted to try. He had converted to a six by two, so we put trailer tires on the dead axle, which makes total sense. The lowest yep. rolling resistance possible. Yep. He said, "Well, what would?" happen if i put these on my drive axle too and i said well they're not designed to handle torque so i don't think the outcome's going to be very good and he said well i'm going to try it Thirty thousand miles that was it yeah that's oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. just it. completely wipes them off yes, yes. Thirty thousand yeah. miles those tires were gone well remember our attractive effort and all that stuff so think about divide in power yeah. when you have slippage versus just keeping it right on that you know it, 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 there's a big difference there so um the suspension plays a huge part too because you know everything in american trucking suspension wise is a race to the bottom we want it light we want it cheap yeah so we have these damn torque reactive z spring suspensions and a six by four application that torque rise kind of cancels each other out um in a six by two because the lift axle there's no power there's no cancellation so when that frame rises you're unloading the drive axle and you're pushing the steer axle into the ground so now you're pulling and pushing so yeah it becomes a problem (laughs) yeah definitely all right, Brian, we're going to cut yeah, you loose. Uh, have, a, have a great weekend. We're going to move on because the calls keep coming. Um, and I said we'd stay here till uh, we got to them all. So, uh, Dwayne in Texas, welcome. <laughs> Hello. What can we help you with today? Can you hear me? We can. I was calling to see if the, uh, the max mileage, is it good for gas engines? Uh, I don't have any experience with it on gas. Everything I've tested has been diesel. Um, the results we get back, the the testimonials from people, I guess, on some gas engines, it's a- absolutely incredible. Okay. And I think it's supposed to be one ounce per 30 gallons on a gas engine. Do you need to be pretty exact on that, or is there any wiggle room? There's wiggle room, but the one thing I would say is don't overdose it. If anything, if if you're going to, you know, be off a little bit, I'd rather be under. You know, it's a fairly expensive product, and putting in more does no good whatsoever. So stick pretty close to the dosing, and if anything, I would would just go under because it's expensive, um, and a little bit more can end up costing a lot more and not give you very good results. Well, the main thing I was concerned about, I mean, I'll underdose, that sounds better. 
I was just afraid it might break something. No, having, having no I, I, we, we've had somebody that got confused and actually had been running double the dose for a long period of time. And it didn't hurt a thing other than his wallet. And where's the, can I buy it from you or do you need to go to Pittsburgh Power? You can can buy it on our website. I mean, if you want to ship it, you can, we'll ship it to you. Or if you're in town, you can stop by and pick it up. But uh, we'll. I'm a ways away. Yeah, we could ship it to you. You can go to our website or you can go to Pittsburgh Power's website and look up all the places where you can physically just walk in and buy a gallon. Okay. I've kind of looked at that before, and it, if you if you go somewhere that you can walk in and pick it up, they mark it up quite a bit. Uh, yeah, a lot if, of times that in happens. The area. Yeah, a lot of times that. Which happens. I mean, I understand people people have to make a profit. I understand that. Well, on and, to the and, next question I have. Yeah, one of the reasons we're able to keep it pretty reasonable is because um, our store you know, isn't necessarily our business model. The store is there for convenience so that when we find these products, it's easy to go get them all in one place. So we are actually on almost everything that's in our store. We're, we're really competitive on price. Okay. The next question, what is good for acid reflux disease? Um the only thing that will fix acid reflux disease is a, a change in your diet. You can't eat the standard. If, if Now, not everybody who eats the standard American diet suffers from acid reflux, but a lot of people do. It's really, really common. Um, acid blockers and PPIs are one of the best-selling classes of drugs in the world. Um, I, I've never known anybody to ever fix it properly eating the standard American diet. In fact, everything we do actually makes the problem worse. All it does is cover up the symptoms of the problem, but it makes all the problems worse. When we, you know, block stomach acid or dilute stomach acid or weaken stomach acid, um, we're destroying your health. We need to have strong stomach acid and every one of their solutions does the opposite. So the only way is you first you have to change your diet to some sort of a paleo based diet. And then if it if the diet alone doesn't fix it, many times it does. Many times all you have to do is change your diet. But if it doesn't, we have a protocol and a kit for this that works every time. It's one of our most successful protocols. Okay. What if you have a hiatal hernia? Does that Um, that need to be repaired before you can... Maybe, maybe. And and what I usually recommend for people if they have a hiatal hernia is that they um, consult with a chiropractor, not a doctor. Let the chiropractor see if they can fix it. A lot of times they can. Yeah. And if I want to find a... Well, there's good and bad... In everything, how can I find a good chiropractor? I mean, I know there's there's good mechanics, bad mechanics. Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. And this is a great question. And I'm a big believer in if I'm going to go pay somebody for anything, I want to find the best people I can. And the way you do it is the same every time. You do a lot of research. You call a lot of people. You ask a lot of questions. You try to find people that have, you know, try to find reviews from other people. And then you, you know, whittle it down to a couple that look promising. And then you go try them. 
And then it's just pure experience. If it works good, you found the right person. If it doesn't, you keep trying until you find the right person. On the right diet, I think I've heard you say before, if you just eliminated grains from your diet, that would be a step in the right direction. Sometimes when it comes to this issue... Sometimes when it comes to this issue, that's all that's required. You don't have to make the full change to paleo. And I'll tell people, if if you want to try this, try eliminating grains first. And sometimes that's the only step you have to take. Okay. Hmm. Well, procedure that doctors do to get rid of a hiatal hernia, is that a good idea if you have a hiatal hernia? I've seen some that require it. Yeah. But but I always say, let's check and see if this can be manipulated, if we can, you know, fix this without surgery and procedures. But if it is required, then you go get it done and it's usually not that big of a deal. Okay. And I'm in Texas right now. It is like 10 to 12. If I wanted to get your app and listen to it, what time does it we it start? Yeah, we go live every weekday at 11 o'clock Eastern time, 8 Pacific. Okay, so what time is it there now? Uh, it is 947 Pacific time right now. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's a big. I, I, that's surprising because it, it's ten to twelve here. Oh, it, but trust me, we we run a company and our our employees are all over the country. So we have employees on East Coast, we have employees on Central, <laughs> Mountain, Pacific, and and it's an issue. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to manage the your day when everybody's on a different schedule. But it would be. I I, I thought. Well, I'm. I just took it for granted everybody was like a, an hour apart. I didn't know it was, yeah, it's, at it's, least in the continental United States, I thought it would be just. No, and then and then if you want to get crazy, Hawaii's another three hours. If you're in Hawaii, you are six hours behind East Coast time. That's, a, that's the whole work day just about. Yeah, well, we, I learned, we I deal, learned a few things today. We, we deal with it all the time. I'll, I'll pick up the phone at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and call one of our employees on the East Coast, and I'm like, why aren't they answering? And then I realize, well, it's 6 o'clock. They're done. <laughs> and I need to just look up Let's Truck.com app or what? Yeah. Yeah, if you, yep. If, if you go to either one of the app stores, just put in Let's Truck. If you do it as one word with no space, it, it works better. Either way, it, you'll get the app. But if you do it, Let's Truck with no space, it should be the number one hit. Okay. Well, I appreciate your information and have a nice weekend. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. Let's, uh, let's grab another call. We're off to... Texas this time. Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, hell, it's 10 to 5 tomorrow morning in New Zealand. I, that's, that's right. <laughs> hey, you know, that, that was my plan. I was going to move to New Zealand and I could do my show nice and early in the morning. Oh, really? 
Yeah. You'd be back on that midnight shift. Yeah, just, just about. about, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I did have a question for gold for John, but it's sort of been asked already. I was curious on the difference in price between the six by four and the six by two. So, I'll be interested to know as well. Yeah, you'll definitely pay a premium for it. And where people get beat up on a six by two right now, and we talked about the poison marketplaces, resale value, it, it's going to be slightly more expensive. And then you take a pretty good hit resale right now. I'm hoping now with Henry out in the marketplace doing very well with his six by two, I'm going to be coming in with, with my new one and I expect it to perform to a very high level. I'm hoping we start to change some attitudes and some thought processes in regards to the six by two. And, you know, maybe we can start to, to, to turn that uh, secondary market around because the secondary market starts with Kevin's crowd, basically, you know, these yeah. are the guys that are going to buy, you know, the trucks used and they need to be confident that we've got this right now and it needs to be ex explained to them why it's right. And I think we can do that. I think, uh, you know, I've been working on this long enough. I am willing to bet that I can stand on a stage and I could be peppered with questions from a, a hundred people, engineers, drivers, whoever. And I think I can answer just about anything that's thrown at me in regards to a six by two and why it works now versus why it didn't back then. Well, I had my last truck for eight years. I've had this one for just over nine, and I'm going to keep it for a couple more. So I don't really care about the retail value, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. So, right. Exactly. Well, We've got it. What I get for it, yeah. Right. We had it figured um, if you are going to trade sooner than four years, that currently in the resale market, it would kill you. Don't go six yeah. by two. Yep. Anything over yep. four years, you're going to save enough in fuel that – um, it's more than worth it. And if you go out eight years, I mean, it's a no brainer at that point. Yeah. Cause it's like you see, you see the European market and they'll, they'll do a lot. They do a lot of truck and trailer and mm -hmm. you'll see a six by two truck and it's got a five axle trailer behind it with two <laughs> lift axles mm -hmm. on it. And uh, right. I'm not so, sure what weight they're running at, but. Well, sometimes you're sure parts of Europe have worse, worse weather than they do over here. So. In some parts, you'll see a lot of just straight single axles pulling, you know, multi-axle right. trailers. Right. Right. The, the example I think that is best to look at is Scandinavia. And they don't like it when the very short wheelbase um, six by twos come up there because and I forget what this is called it's it's after uh, an engineer that figured this out but the shorter the wheelbase the more sensitive the truck is to steering wheel inputs and the more likely it is the jackknife yes. so in continental europe they don't have all the snow and the bad weather that they see in scandinavia and it's a more urban environment so they have these very short trucks so they can get around and then they come up into scandinavia in the winter time and they're very problematic and they're actually pushing for american style length laws in the rest of europe in order to really make the six by two more stable for wintertime haulage. Of course, in Russia and Scandinavia, um, they run a straight truck with a trailer behind it. And a lot of those are six by twos with a really long wheelbase. And you're right. They'll, they'll do heavy haul with a six by two 
uh, combination like that, you know, up to like 130,000 pounds or something and go over mountain passes and in snow and have no problem at all. But they've, they've understood what were, what the target value was on that, on that axle in order to keep the traction right. And for whatever reason, we just completely missed that over here. So Joel, you know, uh, knowing what we know now will make it work. You know what you reminded mm-hmm. me yeah, of that? Uh, um, when I first got into trucking right across from our terminal was the uh, PIE terminal. Do you remember yep. some of their cab over Freightliner day cabs? Those must have been the shortest wheelbase truck ever yep. built. I used to think yep. that if you hit the brakes too hard, if you were bobtailing, the thing would fall right over <laughs> on its face. <laughs> yes, 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 yep, yep, Those absolutely. So I remember short. them. Holy cow. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and very, very susceptible to winter yep. weather conditions in terms of jackknife, yes. Because um, New-, New Zealand is very heavy Kenworth user, which are built in Australia. But at the moment, a friend of mine, I was talking to him the other day, he said if you were to order a brand new Kenworth at the moment, it's probably going to be between 18 months and two years before you get it. So a lot of people, if you want a truck right now in New Zealand, a lot of people, the option is Scania or Volvo because you can get um, it a whole lot quicker. I have a feeling that's going to change. Those build slots are going to start opening up. Yeah. yeah, It it will, yeah. 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 But uh, Australia, they, the Kenworth they build, they still build them. They don't do it like the production, well, it's a production line, but it's a lot more hands-on than than automated over there in Aussie. So eventually they'll catch up. So yeah. got it. All right, we're going one other. Oh, too bad! I already hit the button. We're gonna move on. Um, <laughs> we're gonna go to Virginia this time. Tom and Becky, or Tony and Becky. I'm sorry. Welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What can I help you with? Uh. Back in uh, June, middle of June, uh, Becky had to go to the ER. She thought she had cellulitis, and uh, it wound up being an infection in her foot. Uh, she had broke it when she was 20 in two places, and it got infected. The, what, uh, she was in the hospital. What part of the foot? Go ahead. What part of your foot? It's... Um I had a, it was a couple of different things going on. One, my sugar has been running high. I've not been doing keto like I should. Um, I had a bug bite on the top of my foot, like the... The what part of the foot? uh, The the top of my foot, kind of the... Okay, so we're... Like behind my pinky toe. Yeah, so we're talking about kind of like a skin infection or a wound that won't heal. Is that what we're talking about? Uh, Well, no, actually, it, it... well, I got the bug bite and it tunneled down instead of like spreading out and went to the wound care. They packed it. And then the next time I went back, it had healed over. And instead of them checking it to make sure that it had actually healed, uh, he just said that it wouldn't have healed if it, there was still infection in there, even though I was saying, you know, it's still red, it's still sore, um, still a little puffy. He just, they let it go. 
And apparently I had been fighting off infection the whole time, and it just kept tunneling down until it got to the bone. That's what I was trying to get to. So we're actually talking about the bone itself has become infected. Yeah, I have osteomyelitis. Okay, that's what I was trying to get to. Um, Are they giving you any recommendations for treatment? Um, They have me on two different antibiotics right now, and having to do through a pick line at home. Since the 14th. Okay. And um, uh, they want to start the hyperbaric chamber. Okay. So this is one of those cases where, you know, I'm very, very cautious about antibiotics, but this is one of those cases where it's necessary. You you have to. Um, Along with that, though, you want to double and triple down on probiotics and fermented foods. Otherwise, we're going to solve the infection problem and you're going to have six other problems created by dysbiosis because when we're talking bone infections, I don't know which two antibiotics you have, but I'm pretty sure they're broad spectrum, powerful antibiotics for a bone infection and they will wipe out your gut bacteria. So we've got to really, really work hard on fermented foods. And I would be taking two different probiotics. So two different probiotics, one soil-based, one traditional, and as many fermented foods as you can eat every day. Um, We've got to try to fight back against these antibiotics or we're going to see all kinds of other problems. As far as the treatment itself, um, they're actually on the right track. The two antibiotics in the hyperbaric chamber is probably about um, the best you can do for this. And then we also want to make sure all your nutrient levels are as high as possible. You should really be focusing on um, really nutrient-dense food and supplementing anywhere where we need to make up. Yeah, they said that my uh, vitamin D was an 11. Ooh, are you supplementing at all? Uh, well, I wasn't. Uh, well, <laughs> we started using. That, I've been getting the. I've been getting the the bio D emulsification the the higher dose. Okay. I've been get. I've been taking it for about over a year. Uh, so I had a little stockpile, and I told her she needed to start taking it, which was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Absolutely. They're recommending ten thousand IU's. Well, uh, they're recommending ten thousand IU's and. I take, I've been taking 10 drops of the higher one, so that's 20,000, but they're saying 10. I wanted your recommendation on how much she should do to get that level up. 10's enough, um, especially in if you're using our BioD or BioDK emulsion. I would probably get her the BioDK emulsion to make sure, because if we're going to load DK. in, yeah, if we're going to load in this much vitamin D and we need to, we need to balance it with the K. When you're going to supplement this heavy on vitamin D, we need to make sure we're also supplementing vitamin K. So get the bio DK um, five drops a day. Uh, will get us right there at about 10,000 and that's going to be a good level. And then after 30 days, I would go test it. I would test that number. We need to get her vitamin D number up over 75. That is a huge factor when it comes to infections. Had your vitamin D level been at at 75 or more, you may not have gotten the infection in the first place. 
Well, they did an MRI in the hospital, and they're going to do another MRI before they start the hyperbaric chamber to see how well the antibiotics have done this far. Good, good. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're on they're the right track. Do, um, so it's a matter of, of letting them do their thing, but you need to get really proactive in doing your thing too, getting your vitamin D levels up, getting all of your nutrient levels up. You know, if you're not eating... Now, they also said... They also said her vitamin C and her vitamin B6 levels were low. Uh, and the recommendation was instead of taking a single dose of vitamin, a high single dose of vitamin C to take three times a day, uh, 250 milligrams. Uh, wanted to see, I hadn't seen anything in the store, but I know you have some C yeah. uh, vitamins yeah, in there. We do. And, and, and if then you're, if you're going to be buying it in the store, you can go ahead and get it um, in the store. They are correct. You can't if, if you try to high dose vitamin C, it will tear up your stomach. Um, in fact, okay. I'm, I'm, if, if they think vitamin C would help this a lot, I'm wondering why they just don't give her a vitamin C injection. That'd be a question we, t- we can ask them next week. Yeah, that's when, uh, when we want to do high dose vitamin C, and there are some things that actually respond really well to high dose vitamin C. Um, when we talk high dose, it has, yeah, it has to be injected. I mean, you can't, you just can't consume okay. enough of it without tearing up your stomach. Um, so I would ask them. Look, you know, we'll we'll supplement f- some vitamin C, but could you can we do an injection as well? Um, B six is easy to get. I mean, there's tons of supplements with lots of B six. Okay, he he did say not to do a B, a B complex because her other B vitamins uh, perfect were good good perfect. levels. Yeah, you know what? Uh, um, I, so I to get a, the single dose. I complain about doctors a lot, but these guys sound like they've got it going on. I agree. Um, you can. I wouldn't do a B complex either. I would do a straight B six. Okay. Now, uh, the, the vitamin B, uh, C, I know you sell at least one form in the store, uh, but which one would you recommend when I go to place the order? Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to go check myself. I'm actually not sure. Um, we don't normally deal a lot with um, vitamin C because, again, uh, you know, I'd love to get that in the diet. This is a case, though, we're kind of doubling down um, is going to make sense. So let me go see what we do have. Uh, now, I know uh, okay. I, I've got no. some stuff called emergency, and I think now, it's 1,000 yeah. IUs. Yeah, don't do that. Do our Bio C Plus. Bio C Bio Plus C 1,000. Plus. Okay. Yeah, the Bio C Plus 1,000. 1,000. And I just checked, and it, right. is, what in, about B- it is in stock. B6. Okay, and what about B, the B six? Do you carry that? Let me. See. I just know your your you have a higher quality of uh, supplements in the store. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we carry a straight B five. Um, let me check to see if we could or B six. I mean, what, what am I thinking? Uh, let me check to see if we could order it. I don't think we carry one, but I think okay. we might be able to special order it. All right. I'll, uh, and I'll just call. Yeah, check check and, with and place um, the order. Yeah, check when you call. Um, Angie's probably listening. Uh, Angie, can you find out about getting just a uh, straight B six 
from Biotics. I don't see one in our store. I don't think we carry one, uh, but I'm, I'm positive they have a straight B6. Uh, we'll find out for you. And Angie, if you could, um, once you find out, reach out to Tony and let him know. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll reach out to you and, and find it for you. That sounds great. I appreciate it, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. Got a couple more still. We're going to head off to Wyoming. Steven, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, I just started listening to that book, The Island of Jekyll, uh, the creature, creature of Jekyll Island. Yeah. And so far, I love that. I love that book. The two things so far, the part in the beginning that he goes back and forth as both characters when he's explaining my money in the bank is an asset and a liability to the bank. Yeah. And how you, the bank has no money. Like when he does that, that was, I don't know, some reason I really loved how we went through that. Maybe, you know, I prefer reading to listening. The only time I listen to books is when I drive. I can't listen any other time. But I'm, I don't know. I just either need to take a break and uh, give my brain a break or something. Um, I'm, I'm struggling reading this book. I'm almost wondering if I should try listening to it and see if it's any better. Yeah, maybe. It was definitely interesting, him going through that part. Um, and then the other thing was, well, I'm from Maine, so we go to New Hampshire every now and then for Laconia Bike Week. And that hotel, uh, the White Mountains uh, Hotel, that, that meeting took place then in Brentwood is still there still functioning at the beautiful hotel in a beautiful location and that room where that meeting occurred is still all set up they've got uh plaques and everything so you could really see that meeting was about so if you ever find yourself in the new hampshire area if you've never been there before i would it's really cool to check out i love new hampshire i love that whole area in the fall one of my best vacations it was our first rv vacation uh right after we bought our first rv we went and spent uh about six weeks uh in new hampshire uh during the fall and i absolutely loved it yes if you're in september october you're up there go check out that mountain in that season it's a beautiful scenery um and that hotel is just something to, to go see it's huge uh and it's still so old. Uh, so really cool to check out if you're ever up there. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. And if, uh, you know, if I could mention something about this, I ordered a 2018 Freightliner Cascadia. We have a big bunk. So my wheelbase is a 324-inch wheelbase. And we also haul cars for a living, an enclosed trailer. So we have a three-foot nose cone on the front, and I never put all this into perspective when I ordered the truck with this six by two. And right now, the fifth, the fifth wheel, the first, the closest I can get it to the bunk is the fifth wheel is almost on the. It's just in front of that rear axle, and um, I the weight difference. We def, we had definitely had traction problem when I had super singles on here. And I couldn't deal with the traction issues, so I took the super singles off and put the duels on it. Um, but I guess I had to do it again with that trailer having to be so far back. Uh, it's working good now with the with the duels, but what a difference. I got to imagine it would be better if that fifth wheel was much further forward. Or if your drive axle was, your live axle was in the back and the dead axle was in the front and 
the, the kingpin issue you're describing right now is part of the problem we have in the United States and Europe. They have a very deep kingpin setting and the, the way that the fifth wheel and the axles interact make a big difference. Hey, Joel, um, I, I, I know mm-hmm. this just doesn't make any sense for fleets whatsoever, but have you looked at the, the sliding kingpin idea? Yeah, I did. I was actually going to have them build my next trailer with it. Um, there were some, well, what happened actually is they have a shortage of engineers and they have to do a, a, a kind of an engineering study before they put it together and they just have anybody to do it. No way. So I, I, I couldn't get it built. It, oh, yeah, it's God. there. And I, they... The, the guy I was working with was excited about the possibility of doing it, and they just didn't have an engineer available to do the to do the work to put it in. You know, the project that I looked at and just, you know, never got around to completing, um, I, I really wanted to work on the idea of a single axle tractor with a triaxle trailer or a spread. I was going to play around with a couple different configurations. Um and honestly, I was, I was going to play around with a spread, and I was really, really close to getting the same amount of weight on four axles that we currently get on five. I mean, I was really close when you cut the weight of the vehicle itself down because you get rid of all those components, and then the way it was to, to finally make it work to get all your weight spread out right, you needed a sliding fifth wheel and a sliding kingpin. And between the two of them, man, you could really customize where you put the weight. You could, but it requires a lot of skill from the driver exactly. in order to get things right. And that yeah. that's the barrier right there. I mean, you, you, you're you practically an engineer at that point, you know, getting kingpin weight to transfer <laughs> with two sliding mechanisms that it becomes, uh, it I, becomes a skill, no doubt. <laughs> I know. We, we'd probably have to build an app, you know, to do all the, the math for you or something. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Well, well, and, and to today's digital dashboards, they could probably build that right into the dashboard and tell you exactly where you had to put everything nowadays. Uh, you know, a few years ago, that wasn't possible, but it is nowadays. But that all being said, you were still at four where the setups that we're running today, like Henry has, like I have, we can get down to three and still carry a pretty good chunk of change. You're going to see my next truck coming out. I'm going to run the European wide tires on the front. So I can transfer some more weight up front and, uh, we're going to see how much weight we can, you know, out in the real world, get on this thing on three axles. And I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. I think we're going to get damn close to being able to put the national average for general, uh, van freight on three axles. I'm going to be damn close. It's going to take some componentry that we're not used to seeing, but it's going to be close. Well, when you when you think about it, on three axles, we can grow sixty thousand, right? Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. We we should be able to go twenty twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's going to be close. Yeah, so. we could grow sixty thousand. The 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 equipment itself is significantly lighter. Or there's some pretty big savings in there if you do it right, if you get the weight down. And you start looking at this and you're going, oh, you know what, we, we could probably put like 40,000 payload on this. 
Uh, yeah, we're going to get in that 30 range anyway. And, uh, you know, when you're looking at general van freight, we're not running around at 80,000 pounds most of the time. And when um, we are, it's usually I, I think the worst paying freight. Right, right. I think they're saying 62 is, is the average yeah. for general van freight. Now, reefers, obviously a different story with reefers and specialty stuff. But, uh, you know, that, that three-axle, high-capacity three-axle setup, um, there, there are some challenges there, though, because we talk about axle flex. Now we're going to go to three axles, and dynamic whip comes into play. So we got to go to heavier axle walls, uh, different suspensions. That's going to add some weight back into the equation. So it's not, it's not like we can go in and just lightweight the hell out of everything to load it up, because then we're going to deal with axle flex and a bunch of other bullshit. So it's, uh, yeah, I'll probably be talking with Mike a little bit on this when I when I really start digging into it hard on the trailer again, but. Uh, um, we, there's, there's definitely, uh, a, a lot of potential with that configuration if we do. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And Joe, and you're, and Joe mm-hmm. you're talking about, uh, running heavier steer axles now, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. we have experience with the heavier steel steer axles because we got the big bunk. So my steer axle, I think it's rated at 14.5. We're usually around 13.6 when we have a trailer attached. Just because uh-huh. I, I don't know if you're aware, but some states, um, it's not just based on the axle rating. It's also based on the width of the tire and Oklahoma right. and what. Yeah. So I just yeah. I wasn't sure if you like my tires that I run. Uh, if I go into Oklahoma, it, it's not legal. It's too narrow yes. for the weight that I run. But yep. these tires, I get 200,000 miles out of these steer tires with the wear bar that's on them. If, I go to the tire that they want me to go to. Um, it's more of a regional steer tire. It doesn't have that. Well, here's, here's the thing I'll tell you. Michelin just came out with a three, what is it? A th- uh, 365 uh, 80-22-5. And it has the decoupler groove on it. And they get super, super long life out of them in an over-the-highway application. They should clear up in your truck. If a 315 will clear, these will clear. And they have lower rolling resistance on them than anything on the market. They're a pretty, pretty awesome tire. So, uh, you know, I'm going to – I'm working on getting a set of those and getting them on my new truck. So if you follow my stuff at all out on Facebook, you're going to see them and you'll get the details on them. I don't have all the stuff right in front of me, but uh, pretty damn cool tire. I've got high hopes for this thing because I've done all the things that you talked about when you go to the bigger sizes, they're regional, they're meant for dump trucks and cement mixers. They don't well wear well out on the highway. You get all kinds of edge wear on them. I've tried it several times throughout the years and could never make it work and i bumped up against some of the same stuff that you're talking about technically if you're on an interstate highway they should not be able to touch you uh i know we occasionally will have the arguments with the with the waymasters on this and technically they have to offer you reasonable access to the interstate so you know some places will let you go 10 12 14 miles off the interstate um but if we get the wider tire, there's benefits to it in terms of durability and fuel efficiency. And there is never a question if you're legal with that wider tire. I think at that point it starts to make sense. I just got to find out 
how hey. long it's going to run and if we're going to get the funky wear out of it. Hey, Joel, how much? So what's, the, what's the weight you're trying to get to on your front axle? So I run a fourteen. I run a fourteen six, and the way that I look at fifth wheel or kingpin weight, I'm looking for twenty five percent to go forward, seventy five percent goes to the back. Um, when I am axle up under a moderate payload, depending where it falls on the trailer floor, I'm right out there at fourteen six at so, times. I can get a little bit over that um, on so occasion, you, but uh, generally, generally I'm at. Uh, uh, 14 3 to 14 4. You know, the uh, oh, wow. the Michelin XZA2 Energy will get you to 15 6. It will, but it's not wide enough for the state oh, that he, right. that he talked right. about. I forgot about that DM tire yep, yes. contact patch rule. That sucks. Yep, yep. It really does. Yep, yep. There's a few yep. few states, and you know what? My my brother, one of his drivers, just got popped for that somewhere, and I was like, South "That's Dakota, bullshit," because they I have think. to give him access. And he, yeah, and, and yeah. he's like, uh, he's like, "Well, you go argue with him." Then he goes, "I, I don't have time to do it," which he's right. I, I get right, it. Right. So you know he. He's looking for the bigger tire, or he's just going to change the lift logic on the axle so it doesn't, the weight doesn't transfer. Move the fifth wheel back a little bit, change the logic on the axle, and we won't see that loading up front. But you lose a lot of the benefit of the system then. You know, it's a shame because that XZA2 Energy may be the best tire they've ever built. Things got incredibly low rolling resistance. It's it's just they wear like iron. That is just an awesome tire. I use them on my coach because I I love that tire. And it gets you to 15.6, which is plenty. But you're right. It doesn't have the, the patch size, the contact patch size for some of those states. Yep. Yep. So this this other side, this is a very similar tire to that. Be it on the Michelin site, look up that three sixty five. I forget what the rest of the number, but it's the only three. And I think Michelin is the only one with that three sixty five over here right now. Yeah. And uh, um, it's uh, it's pretty impressive, really. So uh, some of the guys at Volvo are working with some of the guys at Michelin, and we're making sure that there's no clearance issues and actually the weight capacity of the axle goes up because it's on an inset rim and so my 14.6 axle i think goes to like 15.2 and i think volvo's i think volvo's willing to certify that for me and give me the sticker i'm not 100 percent sure on that they're talking with the guy that owns uh, the the front axle so we gotta we gotta see on that so there is that benefit as well that we actually get a a higher capacity front axle running that tire. So, um, yeah, pretty cool stuff. Excellent. All right. We're going to go to Illinois. Grant, welcome to the program. Hey, good uh, afternoon, guys. Kevin and Joel. I've got a question that kind of relates to Joel's open today about uh, carbon and what gear you should run in. Uh, And I'd Mm -hmm. like your opinion on what gear you think I should run in. Uh, Okay. I'm running, I run a car hauler and I'm getting a 6.12 on a 90 day, which is stellar for a car hauler. Uh, mm-hmm. I drive at 60 miles an hour everywhere I go. I've got a pack mm-hmm. car with a, uh, 264. Mm-hmm. Now my, my gear ratio, my top gear is a 0. 0.796. Mm-hmm. And my ninth gear is a 1.0. I run at ninth gear at 60 miles an hour at 1320. That's mm-hmm. where I always operate. And if I try to run in 10th gear, I'm down at 1,050. Uh, 
ninth gear is a little bit better. I'm guessing that's direct. Mm-hmm. One to one is direct. So yeah, your your uh, second gear down will be direct. The the point eight zero overdrive. Okay. So here's here's what I would do, and I I've got this tool to do this, but I don't have it in front of me at the moment. Um, we have a estimator that will will put in car hauler. It gives you the frontal area and all the the aerodynamic drag and everything associated with it, and then it will give me horsepower on the flat required to move that truck at 60 mile an hour at whatever weight do you know what your average gross combination vehicle weight is i'd say probably 70 okay so here's here's the thing this is a dynamic figure it is never chiseled in stone and this is this is the mindset that we get i'll pick one gear and i'm just going to run there so if you've got one car on your truck you're going to run that thing in overdrive and it's going to do better. If you've got several cars on there, you'll run it indirect because horsepower demands higher and horsepower is RPM times torque divided by 5252. So the, the, the higher the RPM, you want to match available horsepower to what horsepower demand is. I know on a van trailer without a lot of aerodynamic aids, 65 mile an hour on the flat requires 280 horsepower. So then I can just multiply my, I know that I make about 1,920 pound feet of torque at 900 RPM. So when I'm running like right now, let's, we'll bump this up to 62 mile an hour and I'm running 953 RPM. So you multiply that 953 um, RPM times 1,940 pound feet of torque and you divide that by 5252, it gives us horsepower and I'll have more horsepower than what is required at the low RPM or piston speed. Um, if I get on grade at that point, then the horsepower demand is going to change. And this is why we need to be able to move from gear to gear. I'm running across Nebraska uh, with a full load. I'm going to run at 950 uh, R- RPM at 62 mile an hour. I get into Wyoming on grade, it's coming back into direct and it's going to run in direct at a higher RPM. But because the horsepower demand is higher, we keep heat in the emission system and drive down particulates. It's all about keeping heat there. If I was to run out across Nebraska at the elevated RPM, the truck isn't making the horsepower, which is true. If it takes 280 to move it, it's only going to develop 280. But our piston speed, we're moving a lot of air through the engine, and it cools everything off. And when you cool things off, you get particulate. So we want to try to keep heat in in the engine um so when you're light basically it sounds like you have you have two gears that will work for you at highway speed at the speed that you run at 60 mile an hour when you're on the heavy side and in hills run it in direct if you're light and it's flat run it in overdrive the mechanical difference in that particular transmission is this a newer truck it's a 18579 Okay, so most likely the transmission in here is going to be one of the newer, more efficient transmissions. Um, so don't worry about that mechanical loss like we did in the past because we were looking at 3 or 4% um, mechanical loss uh, in the older transmissions, and you don't have that today. You have maybe a percent but you're going to make it up in thermal dynamics and piston speeds in the engine more than make it up when the power demand is low. 
So use that overdrive when you are light and it is flat because you're going to benefit from it. You're a little heavier. You're in rolling hills. Drop that thing back into direct and run in direct. You know, just kind of lose the mindset of I got to keep it in this gear. It's always the most efficient. It That never applies universally across the board. Use those top two gears. And, uh, you know, it won't take you long and you'll start to get a, a feel for it. You know, when I weigh this much, it's going into overdrive. When I weigh this much, it's going into direct. You'll find that sweet spot for that particular engine. I know exactly where it is on mine um, because I'm used to it. And, I've, I, you know, I've got field experience with it out here. Um, I can't tell you exactly on yours other than the generalization that light, overdrive, heavy, direct. Okay, and that's my exact mindset is staying in one gear. Um, so what you're saying is if I run uh, deadhead, I can go into overdrive, and I have to manually that, shift it into overdrive because the auto won't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times the programming, especially in, in a few years back where we really didn't have our minds around this, they were like, oh, let's lock that out. You know, even the engineers really – weren't really cognizant of what was happening here yeah so just uh just bump it manually and let her let her fall right down in there and and uh you should be just fine you, you'll uh you'll get a nice yep nice reduction in piston speed you'll keep some heat in the uh emission system and you should see a bump in fuel efficiency as well thank you so much and i just wanted to let you guys yes, know i always look i always look forward to friday great programs thank, thank you, you. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's, uh, I think this is going to be our last call today. Uh, We are going to head off to California. Tom, welcome to the program. Hello. All right. I can, I can just cut to the chase. Your oil sample was zero. There's nothing to talk about. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> that was you, my main thing. Unless you, have, unless you have some questions. I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm like, uh, is this for real? I mean, it looks like you just poured this oil out of the bottle. No, I just uh, I just switched to full synthetic about 47,000 miles ago. So um, I was just wanting, I was concerned. I've never done the oil sample thing before. So Yeah, interesting. So, Joel, I'll, uh, I'll give you some numbers here, and then uh, you can talk to him about the specs, because it looks to me like, based on this oil sample, this engine and truck is specced well, and it's operating well, but let's see if that's the case. So we've got uh, 593,000 miles on a D13. What year, what model? Uh. 2015 BNL. Okay. Um, we've got 20,000 miles on the oil. And are you using Catalyst? Yes. Okay. Very so I, religiously so ever we, since it came out. Okay. So we can ignore the iron. Because um, that's the only, and that isn't even flagged. I mean, the, the, the iron, they're still showing yeah. at a zero. You're at 55, which to me is high, but the catalyst explains it. Everything else looks okay. awesome. There's no fuel dilution, no soot. Your viscosity is right at 14, which is just about perfect for this oil. Your base is holding up incredibly well. There's no wear metals. There's no... Oh, we have a little bit of silicon in there. I just caught that. I wonder why they didn't flag that. Um, your silicon level's at 14. We like to see it at 10 or less. Silicon is dirt. Dirt will cause wear metals, but we're really not seeing any. So 
I don't think I'm okay. too worried about that. Um, that would be the only thing. Um, why don't you go ahead and... Uh, Where's the oxidation at on it? Uh, oxidation at 17. Nice and low for this many miles. No nitration, no oxidation. Um, looks like this thing's tuned and specced pretty well. I, I can't... It couldn't be, yeah, any, couldn't be any better. Typically, our oil samples come very similar to that. Um, once we push out over about 65,000 miles on the oil, we start to see oxidation become an issue. And that is almost always what will flag us in a Volvo is you know, oxidation after about 65,000 miles. Yeah, here's the thing about that, okay. though. And the reason oxidation means it's been exposed to oxygen basically i mean that's that's what oxidation Uh is and higher temperatures can create more oxidation so if we see a truck with an oxidation problem it's almost always temperature here's the thing though i don't i I haven't been mm -hmm. able to find anywhere where oxidation does any damage to the oil that causes us a problem so normally yeah we haven't we look at oxidation mm-hmm. as an indicator. Are we? Do we have hot spots in the engine? Is something not not tuned right? Are we running it too hot? Whatever. But just because the oil has high oxidation, it doesn't seem to hurt the oil at all. It doesn't cause any problems. Well, we've bumped up against that. We thought the same thing. Although, when if you get into a warranty fight, they're going to point to that and say, "Oh, no, see, you're done right here, oxidation." So, so that's that's why we we do change it. Um, now, when you say it's an indication of higher temperatures, think about what we're doing with downsped trucks. We're holding heat in the engine and whatnot. So the oxidation makes sense. Right. Right. So we're running lower capacity oil pans with higher temperatures in order to improve efficiency. And that's the, the balancing game they're playing. This is why I like the idea of a great big, huge bypass that takes five extra gallons of oil in it, because we're adding that capacity back into the system without putting it in the oil pan all at once. Right. So that's that's kind of kind of my plan to beat, beat up on oxidation. But his sample does sound good. It sounds real good. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. You're welcome. Absolutely. All right. Um, Angie, don't screen any more calls. So don't dial anymore. We're uh, we're done with calls for the day. Um, Joel, since we uh, started talking about the bypass filter, I see you're uh, experimenting with uh, Harvard system. Yeah, the, the guys at Hotshot set me up with this great big five gallon <laughs> that's going on the back of the can somewhere but uh you know we were talking about oxidation in the volvo when we downspeed them aggressively um it, it starts to become an issue um, right. everything else gets better but the oxidation gets worse and you know talking to the the guys at powertrain they're like oh if we could put a bigger capacity oil pan on there we would do it but that's going to kill your fuel mileage so we right. thought well, what the hell? Let's just keep it in the filter and just, you know, run it run it that way. So I'm going to see what it does. Um, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. The, the other thing I got going with fuel filters, or filters really quick in general, I got a company that's going to build me a custom set of the, the cleanable wire mesh filters. Um, I wanted to do this about a decade ago, and the particular brand I was wanting to use the clearance between the filter head, uh, the filters on the filter head was so tight that their housings 
wouldn't allow me to spin the filters on. They would oh, touch. Okay. And uh, the the company I'm working with here, they're going to custom build them for me. So they got all the dimensions and everything. And real interesting stuff that as soon as I get some more information, I'll share with you. But uh, I, I'm trying to highlight environmental stewardship here on this next truck. Oh. So I'm not going to have a- any disposable filters on it, hopefully at all. Hey, great. That, mm-hmm. You just reminded me of something else I was supposed to cover today and almost didn't. So remind me to come back to the environmental issue in just a second. Um, okay. Okay. Now I got to go back to the filter idea. Um, oh, Harvard. Yeah, it was the first filter I ever tried. I mm-hmm. think it was the first filter Bruce ever tried, too. Way back in the 90s, I bought the Harvard. Um, absolutely loved mm-hmm. it. It was, it, it, mm-hmm. you know... I kind of believe that the OPS was really modeled after the Harvard and they just worked on the filter material to get it much smaller. But all the design ideas behind the OPS are very similar to the Harvard. They both have the heating element, uh, which most others don't have. The Harvard was an awesome filter. It's just when OPS came to me and said, look, we've got the same thing. We've got a smaller form factor. It's less expensive for the filters. And and the whole program, when I looked at it, it was just more cost effective. But the Harvard filter, I I had one problem with mine, and it was a problem they had back then. I'm sure they fixed it by now. Um, I would get the, the unit. I put the unit on, ran great, changed my filter the first time, and there's their system it's a separate filter that goes in a housing it's not a spin on filter you put a filter down in the housing and after i would replace the filter the first time the lid would seep Mm -hmm. and they'd send me a new lid and i'd install the new lid and it would work till the first time i opened it up and put a filter in it and then it would start seeping again and it wasn't it wasn't horrible it's not like it was dripping out on the ground but it would seep out and kind of cover the housing and the filter and then the dirt all sticks to it and um but i'm sure they've solved that problem by now I, I think so. The other thing is they don't do heat anymore to get water out. Their filter material actually catches water, and this thing will hold up to a gallon of water huh. in the media. And see, I, I was kind of concerned about heating the oil to get the water out because I'm thinking that's going to that's gonna spur some oxidation that I'm trying to defeat. And it so I was looking for a, a solution without, yeah. without it, heat. It, it, really? It, it doesn't. We don't get hot enough long enough. I mean, we're really just, okay. right. just getting it hot enough to kind of get the liquids out of there. And it gets much hotter than that in the engine several times. So we haven't found okay. any oxidation issues with the heating element. But it's interesting okay. that they found a way to gotcha. do it with the filter. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, so they're, they're saying, yeah, they're saying this big one holds a gallon of water and I think two pounds of particulate. Wow. So I'm, I, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to get out quite a ways before I have to, to touch it. We're shooting for a once a year service on that filter and six gallons of oil in a year. So $144 for the filter and six gallons of oil in one year. And then the rest of my filters are all going to be cleanable. So I just clean them and put them back together and screw them back on. Interesting. So we'll see what happens. I don't know if I'm going to be able to... 
get there, but we're going to give it a hell of a shot. You know, here's the difference. They're using the size of their filter as an advantage. And yes, but you know, Gulf coast was a popular filter for a long time. And the problem with the Gulf coast was the thing was huge. It was a mess changing. It was expensive and their own, their filter only lasted 15,000 miles. My God. Right. That I, I looked at that and that's exactly what I thought too. I said, there's no way in hell I'm going to go through that. 15 every 15,000 miles you know you're exactly right and you had to put multiple gallons of oil back in every time so you had the the cost of this big expensive filter and the cost of all this oil and i like synthetic so that was even more expensive and i looked at it and thought i'm not saving any money at all with this thing yeah that's exactly what i came up with it was um it was, uh, what, three gallons every time, yeah. and the filter was relatively expensive, and, uh, uh, yeah, with synthetic oil, there, there was, to me, there was no cost savings, so no, it, when, I, I, I don't know. It was when, uh, when you think about it, and they people would say, oh, but look at how clean my oil samples are. Well, well, mine are, too, at the OPS, and honestly, when I look at your oil sample, you're changing your oil every 60,000 miles. Right, because you're putting exactly so right. much makeup that's oil exactly back right. in there. Of course, it's clean. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. All right, great show. So we'll today. see how we'll see how this goes. But yeah, yeah it was yeah. it was a good show. I thought thought yeah. it went well. Awesome. Anything you want to close with? I'm done for the week. No, I I got to get my ass moving here. I got to get a trailer <laughs> dropped, and I got to sweep it out, and so they're probably screaming, "Where the hell's the trailer at?" So I get, I got to get rocking and rolling here. I, I just thought of something because I used to spend a mm-hmm. lot of time sweeping trailers because I I hate dirty mm-hmm. trailers. I used to spend it. Why wouldn't it make sense to carry around one of these little electric blowers they make now? Oh, it does. I got several guys that do. Yeah. I got one guy that's got an 18 volt bolt cutter that cuts the damn bolts off the, the trailers <laughs> when they seal them. Look at shit. Look at shit. Yep. There you go. That's a good idea too. Yeah, I, pretty, I, you know, I've got an electric blower now for the yard. I'd love that thing. And I just got thinking I would never sweep out a trailer again. I'd get me a blower. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I should have one. Uh, when I get my purple truck, I'm definitely going to have one. You know, I was thinking, I'm going to be in this truck for a couple of weeks, and I'll be in my next one, so I'm not going to load it up with everything. Shit. Here I am a year into it almost. And <laughs> there you go. It is what it is. All right. <laughs> awesome. Well, I got to get rolling. I got to drop some trailers and sweep them out, and we will chat again Friday, hopefully. All right. I think we're getting John back next week, so that'll be fun. All right. Uh, thanks, as always, Joel. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you. All right. We're going to wrap this up. We will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.